it was cute in the beginning because they're like, oh, he's old. He'll be dead soon. So we'll just have him in these <laughs> movies. Why can't he just be more like Alfred Hitchcock? <laughs> no, like seriously, like yeah, his cameos I, are actually kind of fun because it is like spot the Alfred. Whereas like here it's kind of like, remember, this is because of me. Yeah. I think Apocalypse's costume, at least the, the robe he wears around, I just feel like he looks like Rocky in the first Rocky movie. He has a big robe on, like, coming up, being like, Mick, this is too big. I think we should get a tighter one the next time. <laughs> hey, Xavier! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the eighth film in the X-Men franchise, which is X-Men Apocalypse, starring James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender. Today we are canceling the apocalypse! If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back into Film Tank. This is episode 66, and I am Alex Diekman, along with the usual suspects, Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. Oh, it's funny. It's like the usual suspects, because like the production company is Bad Hat Harry. That wasn't why, but that works. Yeah. Very good. And also Nick Cheney here, too. Uh, oh, hello. What was that supposed to be? That's just nothing? That's just you talking? Yep. Cool. Yeah, that's his voice. <laughs> yeah, what are you trying to say? Sorry. I'll go over in the corner. We have another person here, uh, and it's the, her first time on this episode, and that is Christina Gonzalez. So welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks Hi. for having me. Thanks Thank, for having me. Oh, we're very glad to have you on. Uh, Tucson has been talking to us about you possibly being on this episode for like four months now because you said you're really into X-Men. So. Yeah, I'm like disgustingly into X-Men. It's kind of when people start talking about it, I get very amped up. And then they kind of look at me and they're like, please, please just calm down. Calm no, down. no. <laughs> this is great because even though myself and Nick, I think, really like the X-Men franchise, we don't have as much knowledge in in terms of the comics and the history of the x-men so you will be a very nice addition and this won't just be another episode of toussaint talking the entire time so (laughs) yeah it's it's, (laughs) it like what prompted like my whole uh wanting like christina on this episode is because nick and i we used we were at a a party a couple of years ago and we were actually talking about x-men first class and how we liked it and i distinctly remember christina just like having a contention with it and she just like talked about how yeah that's not how professor x like actually lost his legs is because he was in 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 egypt and he got like uh stones thrown on him by the shadow master and i was like holy shit she knows her shit but but patrick stewart was walking with magneto at the beginning of um at the beginning of the uh, third X-Men movie that Brett Renner directed. So. Oh, I... Let's <laughs> mm. not talk about that. Movie. No? Yeah. I remember that party. That's, it was the same party. It wasn't <laughs> Christina, but somebody bitched me out because I liked Spring Breakers. <laughs> <laughs> really? I do remember that. Yes, they basically someone... called me a pedophile. Right. Well, I actually really enjoyed Spring Breakers after like talking to you about it. It's just like, there's there's a there's a certain appeal to it. I, I think it's cool. 
I'm a fan of the movie. Yeah. yeah. And I don't do anything illegal, so I feel like people <laughs> should respect, respect my privacy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, uh, we will talk a little bit more about the X Men and, Breakers. Or, and <laughs> yeah. Spring Breakers too. Uh, um, actually, the sequel. <gasps> There's a sequel. I hope not. Yeah, oh. seriously though, I don't think we need that. But it's not as awful a movie that it would require a bitching out. I don't believe. So. Gucci Man's out of jail. He could be in the sequel. Who? <laughs> Nothing. Gucci Man. Yeah. Okay. So getting back, <laughs> he's not important. Getting back to X Men, <laughs> we'll talk a little more about the X Men in general uh, before we talk about Apocalypse. But first. We always like to get everybody's perspective on movies and what movies they're into and what their favorite movies are. So give us a little glimpse into your film world. All right. So my film world is essentially sitting on my couch and seeing trailers and pointing out to whoever's with me, like, hey, let's go see that. Okay. So it's, right I'm, on. I'm very easily influenced. Um, I think I probably see a lot of superhero movies. I've seen just about everyone that's come out. I saw... Uh, Civil War not too long ago and I want to see it again I might go see it by myself if I need to because my mom's like please stop dragging me to these movies (laughs) she's like Toussaint's dad (laughs) although Toussaint's the one who drags you usually so yeah my dad's usually the one who drags me to the to the films and then he like either really enjoys them and then I hate them or he falls asleep and I'm just like, yeah, I can, I can vibe with which, that. Which one did you go see? Was it, was it pixels or unfinished business? Oh, both awful. Those are, did you see both of them? I saw part didn't of pixels go see and either I, of I had to like leave. I, thought I saw you, unfinished I thought business. I saw unfinished business. The one with Vince, Vince Vaughn. Vaughn. Okay. Vince Vaughn oh. is a very attractive man. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's blo- why Toussaint went and saw it. <laughs> yeah. I blocked that out. <laughs> I don't want to. Was like, you blocked out Vince I literally blocked it out and then it was just like driven back to the surface. Just Fuck you, Alex. Dave Franco in that? Who? Dave Franco. Yeah, it was him, Dave Franco, Franco, and Tom Wilkinson. Fuck! Oh, that's right. I was thinking <laughs> Harvey Keitel for some reason. <laughs> now it's all coming back to me. Damn. Well, Speak. maybe you just have some unfinished business with that. Oh. <laughs> I see Professor X just wipe my memory again. And there it is. Speaking of Harvey Keitel, I finally met someone who saw the movie Youth with him and oh, Michael Caine, yeah. and I heard uh, the same thing that I've heard from reviewers, which is that it's not good. So that was disappointing. I've heard very mixed things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 Really random. Okay, so please continue. <laughs> anyway, yeah. back to the guest. I think I see a lot of, like, <laughs> sports movies. I'm a very big fan of, like, you know, those feel-good sports movies. Like, I was watching uh, A League of Their Own the other day, and I was, you know, being a I was crying over something, and I felt very bad because it was during that scene where Tom Hanks was like, there's no crying in baseball, as I'm crying watching oh, the movie. Oh, and then you cried. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. But um, I tend to just, as I get older, I go back and watch movies. Like, I just rewatch Pleasantville, which is with Tobey Maguire and Reese Witherspoon. Um, it's probably one of my favorite movies. I will watch it every time it's on. Um, I'm trying to think what else, you know, whatever people drag me to, whether it's Inside Out, willingly, I I dragged my mother to that as well, and I cried during that as well. My mom's like, why are you crying? And I was like, you don't understand. Because Bing Bong. Yeah. (laughs) Because Bing um, Bong, that's why. I just tend to, I'm a very big in pop culture, like whatever's on E! News, so whatever they're telling me is coming out, I'll be like, I'll see it, or I won't see it. So I'm kind of open to whatever. I wish I was a little more... um, knowledgeable of directors for certain directors that go out um i obviously know michael bay because that's the main part that anyone ever talks about for the transformers movies Mm -hmm. wasn't a fan of them there was a lot of blowing up and a lot of you know shia labeouf no one needs that no one needs that much no nobody needs that you know he's um paying people to hitchhike with him now yeah he's weird and i just don't like him 
So he rubs me the wrong way. He's getting rid of that vibe. What then... if he rubbed you the right way? Mm, no, he uh, he physically abused. I thought you always answered so my question. Seriously, did he really? Yeah, he did. He's a oh. he's a fucking asshole. Well, Good. Well, he'll, have his, he'll have us come back here soon, and then he'll get an Oscar, and it'll be fine. I mean, he's do you guys remember him when he was on Even Stevens, and he was that really weird kid? Yeah, like yeah. Lewis. Yeah. Yeah, I liked even Stevens though. Was okay Holt show. was pretty good. I like that. Yeah, it was actually. Yeah. That's one of the best, I think, book to film adaptations ever. Yeah, that's mm. true. Just as far as how weirdly absurdist that story is, and yet how much it actually like point to point, it actually matches yeah. the tone perfectly. I thought that yeah. yeah. So best Shia LaBeouf movie, it's either Eagle Eye or Wall Street Money Never Sleeps. Uh, Nymphomaniac. Like, well, I was I was. Actually, oh, you joking. were you oh, were joking. joking. <laughs> I was like, "Are you uh, holes?" I feel like there are worse stuff. Like what's uh, that? No, I, I actually thoughts. enjoy both those films I just listed. Oh, but... oh you do? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, then so why were you joking? joking? Because uh, <sighs> this is so confusing. The, ma- the majority of people, <laughs> okay. a lot. It was a scientific poll. Uh, <laughs> don't enjoy either of those films, even though I did. But okay. um, yeah, Shia LaBeouf, not the best part of either of those. Okay. But yeah, Nymphomaniac. He is in there. He is. I was thinking of when I said, you know, he's been worse. I was thinking of like Indiana Jones. Ooh, yeah, that wasn't good. Oh, yeah. The yeah. only thing I ever think of that's worse than Shia LaBeouf is M- Megan Fox in Transformers with him. And I was yeah, like, oh. yeah. She, they're so in love in the first, like, what, three movies, and then she's gone. She's April O'Neil in the new uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and that really just rubs me the wrong way. A lot of people rubbing you the wrong way, buddy. Yeah. Someone, you got to find someone to rub you the right way. I think that's a genie song. Were too. you just hum- humming the Jeopardy theme? No. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. So you're into a lot of popular films and yeah. that kind of thing. That's that's cool. But unfortunately, like as the more we've gotten into films, I mean, over the years at least, and especially me in the last like five years... It's weird how, like, I only used to go see really popular films and some lesser-known films, and now I'm, like, going to the theater to see The Revenant three times. It's not good. No. <laughs> and Nick's I mean, like, yes, it's not, because that was a bad movie. But... I agree. Is that the one where Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio fight, fights the bear? Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I wanted to see that. It was great. You I wouldn't say that. he fights the bear. Oh, I, would say I would say the gets... bear fucks him up. Yeah. Well, if he fought the bear, I would like that movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, I liked it a yeah. Lot more. bare knuckle boxing with a yeah. bear. Like, who doesn't want to watch that shit? Wow. Bare knuckle boxing. All I know is that that's the movie that finally got him his Oscar. So mm-hmm. Yeah, you go, Leo. You yeah. deserve it. Unfortunately, this is the one here he shouldn't have won because Michael Fassbender should have won. But that's okay. Yeah, that's another day. Yeah, for sure. Well, cool. Thank you for for sharing that. And uh, a regular segment we have on Film Tank is Week in Review. It's something that I know. You guys really enjoy doing, yeah. as, as do I. Yeah. Although I don't watch as much as many movies, I feel like as you guys do. So, uh, why don't one of you guys Nobody start it off? Does. As you know, it's like it's like a problem. I'll go first. <laughs> it's like a problem. What's your count it's this year? Is it over like two hundred? Is it over two hundred yet? Do you count movies that I rewatch in the same year? Because Letterbox finally they just did something weird, and I was very upset with that. I know they. If you watch like your this year count is not actually how many like your total films it's, watched. It's really starting to bug me because I'm. It's I'm. I've only watched five redos this year. Yeah. Because I just hit 100 for the year, 
but I technically have watched 105 films, yep. and it's really bugging me. If you have a year in review, it'll tell you how many diary entries you blogged for okay. the year. So mm-hmm. that's how I keep it straight. I think they should just go back to that. They should. I, it doesn't make sense. Or you should. there should be either that or an option where you could – because I can understand if somebody wants, like, total different films. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> uh, oh, what, what's my count this year? Yeah. Let me – you know what? This is really interesting because we're pretty much at the halfway point. Um, well, eh, the end of June will be there. there. Yeah. We're getting there. Uh, let's see here. My for the year is 200, but oh that goodness. doesn't include any movie I've watched twice okay. or three or multiple so times. So you are exactly double of what I am. So correct. Correct. Nice. So you've got some catching up to do. I'm not going to get there. It was, I think it was I'm last... hoping to get to 500 by the end of the year. That's too many. I, th- I think last year was the year I had more than you for like the first three days of the year, and I was like pounding my chest. I'm like, <laughs> look at that shit. And then that ended pretty quickly. Yeah. So anyways, Nick... Uh, uh, of those 200 films you've seen, which I want to talk about you... 199 of them. Yeah. Awesome. We have all the time in the world. Here we go. Now, I, I watched quite a few movies this past week. I only want to talk about one. Uh, one movie that I watched uh, for the very first time, Criterion Collection just put out a beautiful new Blu-ray. I, I think it's like the first time, maybe, it's been put on physical release. Because I've like never heard of it, despite the fact that it's a Humphrey Bogart film. Hmm. Uh, it's called In a Lonely Place, and it's directed by Nicholas Ray of uh, Rebel Without a Cause fame. But also some even better movies, I think, uh, that are a little lesser known, like... Uh, uh, bigger than life, and I think he did uh, Johnny Guitar to a great kind of inverse western with a female archetype at the center. Anyway, he's just one of the best unsung directors of the golden era of Hollywood. Cool, and this is no exception. I had never seen this movie before. It stars Humphrey Bogart as a uh, an, a screenwriter in Hollywood who is prone to, shall we say, temper, you know, fits of rage, and uh, he throws his temp- typewriter against the wall. Uh, almost in one scene. <laughs> Called it. Yeah, and what happens is that this. What I love about it is that it's kind of like a movie where it's it's essentially a love story. Like it's almost a drama between because he meets someone that he ends, ends up falling in love with. Shocking. As most love stories go. Correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but and what makes it a very dark movie is that this very. Uh, uh, noir plot keeps creeping in and keeps uh, breaking up that tension between the two of them because the setup is this he's uh, he's been known in the business to have these temper fits and whatnot and so no one really uh, likes dealing with him anymore so one night uh, and he's kind of a washed up writer too because he's sold out so to speak so one night when he's at a uh, at a bar he kind of has his eye on one of the waitresses and he asks to go he asked her to come home with him that night because he has to write a new script based on a book and he hasn't read the book yet and she has so he wants her to like tell her you know tell him the whole story before Wikipedia <laughs> it oh sounds yeah like the plot kind of. of my sixth grade like book report where I hadn't read the book but my brother did and I was like Johnny tell me what happens and then he gave me the completely wrong story and I failed oh. <laughs> what a dick well I hope it, siblings I hope. Uh, what happened in this movie did not happen to your brother because what ends up happening is actually kind of surprisingly uh, he doesn't like to make a move on her. He actually does just, you know, get the story from her or whatever then sends her on her way. She ends up getting brutally murdered. Oh. So naturally he's the prime suspect of this, you know, now, murder. is it an off-screen brutal murder? Or yes. Is, okay. Yeah, like it's like uh, he literally wakes up the next day and like the cops are knocking on his door at 5 a.m. and he has no idea why. Okay. Or does he? Because that's the kind of question, because it does cut in time. 
And the person who the only person who has alibi is his neighbor that moved in across the courtyard, and she gets dragged to the police station too, and that's how they meet, and that's the love story. So what's great is they kind of put this case behind them because it doesn't seem like he did it, but the more people start to let his past decide his future and say, well, he was this way, so he probably did it this time, whatever, mm. the more it starts interfering with his actual ability to love and this new relationship that actually might be the best thing that ever happened to him. And it's got one of the uh, most brutal and darkest endings for a movie that came out in uh, in that era, I think 1950. Uh, all around, it's just a fantastic movie. So mm. I heartily recommend uh, In a Lonely Place. Now, in terms of its kind of darkish tone, uh, would it be somewhat at all similar to a, a movie like, I don't know, like Alfred Hitchcock's Rope or something like that? It's it's very like that. Okay. Um, I will say this much. When I say it has like the one of the darkest endings, don't expect like the cheapest or most shocking ending, but just the most emotionally devastating resolution to this uh shall we say, uh, situation is the one that happened. So uh, it might not be the one you think will happen because you think that would be like the biggest twist or that whatever. Mm-hmm. But when when the, when the credits roll, you're just like, oh my God, if the credits would have rolled like five minutes earlier, this could have been okay for everybody involved. <laughs> and it, it's just great. So, well, so yeah. What was the name of that again? In a Lonely Place, directed by Nicholas Ray. See, the it, only thing I can think of that is like how he says that's how they fall in love. Can you imagine like 20 years in the future? Honey, do you remember when we met? When that my that woman was brutally murdered in my apartment complex? Oh, like, the way we laughed. <laughs> that's the only thing I think it's of. It's a conversation there, starter. It's actually, there, that's kind of one of the fun parts of watching the movie is the way romance has this dark edge to it because there is a great scene in which he goes over to his friend's house who is married and while they're there his friend is a detective and he's kind mm. of torn between the idea that this is his like good friend so he doesn't think he did it but he's also a detective that's following the case mm. and while he's there he kind of starts to probe him a little bit like you're because he writes mystery he's like so you're a mystery writer how so, would you have done it if you and humphrey oh, bogart's monologue oh about so you how would know would how to get away with it if right. you wanted to oh. and he hum- would have written a better book than oj did so <laughs> bogart's monologue at that dinner table is one of the most <laughs> if i did it yeah i know you're talking about i was gonna say i mean that was that was something sorry go ahead no no i was gonna say bogart's monologue at that dinner table is one of the most uncomfortable dinner scenes i've ever seen because he gets very into it i don't know you've never been to dinner with me and my my father it's very uncomfortable i mean more more uncomfortable (laughs) than that one dinner scene from only god forgives yeah, because that was a piece of shit. Ooh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for anyway, bringing that to the table. In a lonely there. place. Yeah. All right. Um, do you guys mind if I go next, or did you really want to go I next? Know, to his, his I mean, you can go next if you phone. feel like it. Go for it, man. I mean, I was thinking, like, I would just go if that's okay. Do it. Like, do you really want to go? Should no, I go. go. <laughs> this passive aggressive. Go, do it. No, you should go, but I want to go. <laughs> just really nice. All right. <laughs> I'll just go fuck myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, the movie I wanted to talk about is a film that I watched with my wife, Emily. It's the first time she had seen it, and uh, it was only the second time I had seen this film. And it was the uh, the previous film to Midnight Special from director Jeff Nichols. It was a much better film, in my opinion, called Mud, mm-hmm. with Matthew McConaughey and Ty Sheridan, who was in this film. We just uh, saw Apocalypse playing Cyclops. Oh... Yeah, no. I just put that together. Did you? Did you really? <laughs> well, I forgot okay. who we. I haven't seen Mud since it came out. Anyway, okay. But anyways, uh, the, the film Mud uh, was really right in the middle of the reconnaissance, uh, right before it really took off for him. So this was 
this was a, a definitely very different role for Matthew McConaughey and a lot of other people in the film too. Uh, Reese Witherspoon, who shows up here, who's a, has a very minor role, and it's kind of weird that she was cast in this film. But uh, also, Michael Shannon has a small role, and Sarah Paulson as well. So, a lot of good actors here, but not a lot of screen time to go around. Sam Shepard also has a very pivotal role in this film, and he's great as well. Yeah. So. Hmm. I don't really have that much to say about Mud because I just think it's a really good movie. Um, I think it shows a lot of the talents that Jeff Nichols has as a director, but it wasn't bogged down by what I thought was a not great science fiction story in the night special. He just allows the characters to act in this story and allows them to kind of embody the weird love story that's going on between a lot of the characters and someone either off screen or that they're not with at the current time. And it's a a very interesting story and also a a very interesting setup around it where it's the two kids who end up finding uh, this, this guy living on a, an Island alone. Uh, And it's quite a, uh, quite a different take on, on, you know, those kind of stories where you find somebody and you think they're, they're a homeless person or whatever. And then you find out that uh, I feel like, a lot of films try to show the inverse of that saying, Oh, he's just this lost person where Matthew McConaughey actually probably is a really not a very good person um, in, in his character, but they think he is. And that's a very interesting kind of aspect of this film. I know Nick, you've only seen it the one time, but I, I thought you enjoyed it as well. Right. I remember liking it. It's definitely faded mm-hmm. quite a bit. So I don't think that's a good sign as to like how much I liked it. But mm-hmm. I did enjoy it. Yeah. And the, uh, the exact opposite of Midnight Special for me, as the ending scene was absolutely phenomenal of Mud. The um, very final scene? Or well, kind of, know. I would say the last the act climax, of the film. The sh- yeah. The final sequence. Yeah, the shootout yeah. Um, and the, the scene that precedes that with uh, Mud driving the kid on the motorcycle uh, back into town, which is just absolutely fabulous. I don't want to say too much about it because it's a pretty big plot point, if I can recall correctly. But. It's just an all-around good movie that I don't have too much to say about, but I think people should check it out because it's a, a good movie and it shows a lot of Jeff Nichols' talent. There Moving on go. to... Huh? I said, there you go. Right? Yeah. And I didn't really watch much else, so that's all I really have for <laughs> that's you. That's okay, cool. buddy. Uh, moving on to either Christina or Tucson, whoever wants to go first. Christina, do you want to go? I don't know. See, I'm not a big movie watcher, <laughs> okay. but I'm more of a TV person. Okay. But you go ahead. You've been waiting a long time. Oh, thank you, Christina. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I watched a couple of films. He'll get in there. Yeah. Uh, but I, I actually recently watched for the first time uh, Alfred Hitchcock's uh, North by Northwest. Uh, just because I stopped by the library. Uh, the I or- thought maybe you were just like a big Kanye fan. I know. I was like Northwest. Yeah. No. No. I get your joke, but... No. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Cary uh, Grant basically plays uh, Roger Thornhill, who is a uh, New York advertising exec who um, gets caught up in a case of mistaken identity Ooh. and uh, is involved in like some type of like um, clandestine, like Soviet, uh, like terrorist plot, like in like like in New York. And he basically like there's all kinds of crazy, wacky um like sequences, especially at the most iconic one, which is even on the cover of the the actual like DVD case, where he gets chased by a crop duster in the middle of nowhere because he gets uh, led astray by like this, this sort of like femme fatale character who kind of like plays like parallel to him. Um, one of my my favorite like takeaways from it was just like uh, th- there was a lot of funny dialogue that was actually in the film, like when he 
he meets with an FBI like chief or whatever stuff, right? Who actually is like responsible for some of the the mishaps that actually like like he he's placed into, and it's just like, who are you? It's like, are you FBI? It's like FBI, CIA, O O N I. It's like we're all part of the same alphabet soup. And I'm just like, that is that's a great line. I love that. Yeah, I do like alphabet soup. Alphabet <laughs> soup. <laughs> it's a very playful film. Uh, I have not seen it since the first time I watched it years ago mm-hmm. because I genuine generally don't get into Alfred Hitchcock's uh, spy movies. Uh, really, I, I can appreciate them and I like them and I can enjoy watching them. But in general, I've, I've never seen North by Northwest, but isn't it one of his more mainstream films? It's, oh yeah, I mean it's probably the peak of him making like the like the prototypical blockbuster, so to okay. speak. It's uh, taken to be like I, I think it's even included in the Library of Congress as being like one of the most significant yeah. uh, films. There's a lot of great time. stuff to it, and mm-hmm. I, I think it's a good movie. Yeah. I just I, it's not one of his movies that I want to rewatch over and over like I do a lot of other his, uh, movies by him. Mm-hmm. It's got great uh, Mate painting uh, backgrounds, especially with like the UN, and also has like a top down shot of like him like walking out of his. Like I just love that scene so much. There's also the great final shot. Yeah, that's what that's another reason why I wanted to uh, to watch this because uh, he ends up like getting the girl in the end, and like they're on train. And right before, right before yeah. they're about to like do the deed, it cuts to a train. Do what deed? Going into a tunnel, and <laughs> oh. then it's like the end. I'm just like, oh, it's subliminal. It's like, okay, whatever. Cheeky little fucker. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's uh, Alfred Hitchcock for you. Um, yeah, but yeah. I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really cool film. It didn't really live up to like <laughs> the. No. Sort of the mystique that was kind of like surrounded, but it was like I thought it was just a cool film in itself. It just wasn't. It's not the best Hitchcock film I've seen. Yeah. That's, <laughs> no, I'm sorry, but now that we're talking about Alfred Hitchcock and sex, I'm just thinking of uh, his uh, maybe the first rape joke in in a movie what? is in is in oh. one of his movies. Which one? Uh, oh god, it's called Fre- uh, Frenzy. Oh. Okay. And somebody was. Uh, it's about a serial killer who okay. goes around murdering women, but before he does that, he. Is yeah. this the one with so, Sean Connery, or is that something else? No, that's uh, something else. Okay, sorry. Uh, but when the when somebody is telling one of the local tavern owners about this recent case or whatever, they're like, "Yeah, they say she was murdered," and and the guy goes, "Oh, that's too bad." And then they say, "Yeah, but apparently he rapes them first. And then he goes, "Well, at least there's a silver lining." Oh my oh. god, that is so <laughs> fucking dark. There's, that's not all right. Jesus, <laughs> that, that, that is a uh, that movie wasn't very good. <laughs> And yet I actually love that line because I, that was the only time when the movie was at least like engaging and like interesting. But yeah. Why am I thinking about Sean Connery? Was he in a movie with Tippi Hendren or something yeah. like that? Okay. That's, that makes uh, me feel better. I'm always thinking about Sean Connery. <laughs> I forget what movie that is, but he is. Uh, Marty? No, is that the one where he... he... Or there's like a brutal rape scene of her or something. Oh yeah, that is, that is Marnie, and, and there is a rape okay. scene. Okay. Is this another and, Hitchcock? But that's like a no. that's oh, okay. a dark, dark thriller. Topic, like yeah. Tippi Hendren is has still about superheroes. Her, yeah, so. her, her career was very much intertwined with Halford Hitchcock, though. So it all kind of makes sense of why I was thinking about Sean Connery. Well, you know, she she had to stick to one person because in between all that time, she had to take care of those lions. Cause... Oh, and Roar? <laughs> yeah. I need to watch that someday. I want to see it really everybody bad. Everybody needs to watch that movie. <laughs> so anyway, maybe cinema's first rape joke, in case our, <laughs> our listeners at home didn't well, know that. Well, that was a the wonderful, more you know. wonderful edition. Thank you, Nicholas. Something you could go without knowing for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. God. Okay. Uh, Christina? Oh, well, I'm trying to think. The last movie I saw was actually a Netflix movie with... Um, it's called Life Unexpected. Mm-hmm. It's... 
the woman who plays Robin in How I Met Your Mother, she also oh, plays Kobe Maria. Smothers. Yes, she is. Wow. Um, she's uh, Maria Hill in the yes, Avengers movie. Yeah, that's right. See yeah. how it ties all back in. Um, but <laughs> she is. She plays a teacher in the Chicago public schools, actually, which is pretty awesome. You know, she's in her mid twenties, early thirties, and she's having a very non-casual relationship with another teacher and they end up getting pregnant as most things happen and uh been there yeah (laughs) (laughs) junior sorry but um you know she gets pregnant and they do what everyone does on a whim they get married and decide to raise the baby but at the same time she's a a teacher in the chicago public schools and the schools are closing as they are right now Mm. one of her top students gets pregnant and so it's kind of a parallel between whether you get pregnant as a teenager or as an adult and the hardships they go through. Um, so it was actually very interesting to see because um, I'm in the stage of life where a lot of my friends are getting pregnant on purpose. So mm. it's, it's weird. You're just like, oh, you, you wanted this to happen. Okay. <laughs> Sweet. Exciting. <laughs> like, yay. <laughs> Not the, oh. But, you know, it was, very, it was very interesting to see. You kind of see the parallels, especially in um, the world of an adult. Um, a white woman versus mm-hmm. a teenager, black teenager. Mm-hmm. So you got, you kind of really got to see the difference and you see them both grow through their pregnancy because they're only, I want to say, about four weeks apart in their pregnancy. Now, a question I would have mm-hmm. is the teenager who gets pregnant now, was it also a like major mistake or something like that? I wouldn't or, say... Like, like, uh, is is it an inverse from what Colby Smothers' character is going through where she almost is just... Like having to go through this pregnancy where the teenager who's pregnant is like kind of okay with it? Or? Well, yeah, that's actually what's really funny okay. is you see the teenager handling it better than Colby's mother's character does okay. in the movie. Colby's completely terrified, thinking she's going to do it wrong. And um, the big argument in the movie, which I thought was very interesting to me, especially as a female, was the issue with Colby's character is that her husband is like, well, you can't get a job now because you're pregnant. Oh. And then the the students, her students' issue is that she has, you know, from a Chicago public school, she has a 3.89 GPA. She's been accepted to all these great schools, and her top one is the University of Illinois, mm-hmm. which is three hours away from uh, Chicago. So they get her accepted. They put her through all of, you know, the paperwork, everything, and Colby really wants her to go to college yeah she's so she's sort of portraying her hopes and dreams onto this girl and then the girl kind of snaps her into reality is being like i have a child to take care of now i can't leave and so you kind of see the younger student step up while kobe struggles to become a mother this sounds really interesting it's it's, it's a very good movie and you kind of get to see two parallels from it i have a question does abortion ever come up as a topic of conversation for either interestingly it does But um, once again, it's Colby Smothers, the responsible adult who is kind of asking, will you keep it? And the response is, why wouldn't I? Mm -hmm. So it's it's very interesting. You get to see both sides of an accidental pregnancy who she steps up and owns it. And then an accidental pregnancy where she's panicking. But it's what. How can I divert this? (laughs) You know, it's kind of. I think we I think it's interesting that uh, in in pop culture, uh, especially. When, when it comes to men, and, and not that um, this is the right thing or it is the real thing in real life, but I know that for a fact that, that it is, and there are a lot of guys out there who are married or aren't married. And who, pregnant. 
yeah. who <laughs> are not actually <laughs> pregnant, but they have a female in their life who is pregnant because of them, mm-hmm. uh, who they you know just want to make <laughs> because it because of them, because of they you. did. This I mean, you to do me. hear that? Uh, you hear them screaming that when the baby's coming out. You did this. You did this. I was going to say. I mean, a bitch. Te- technically, without them, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So artificial I... insemination. Yeah. But in this specific instance, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so going back to where I was going with this, mm-hmm. I feel like there's two sides to of what the asshole male is portrayed to, and they're complete opposites. Either it is you are absolutely going to work because we need money, and mm-hmm. we're just gonna have the kids stay with grandma or whatever, or there is the you have to stay home and take care of our child because why not? And it's 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 amazing that we're in 2016 and that's still portrayed as mm-hmm. the norm. So. I mean, that's one of the focal points in the movie is uh, Colby and her husband have that fight, and it's their first yeah. big fight, you know, and she's... That's not a good thing for your first big fight. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like, your first big fight is We wasted couple. our first fight on this. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was just one of those things that came up on my Netflix, and I hit it, and it was awesome. So you recommend it? I do. I, I recommend it. Oh. Right on. Well, it's something that we may all check out someday, especially if it's on Netflix. That's, like, the, the ultimate qualification for watching a movie now it's like is it online is it on streaming service no it's true if it's not on netflix i don't care or if it's not on the criterion collection i don't care (laughs) is it in theaters is it on criterion collection is it on netflix nine times out of ten it's like i'll wait till it's on netflix yeah cool well very good thank you very much for bringing that christina and everybody else as, as usual let's move on and talk about the film that we saw this week was uh i guess the Fourth major superhero film to come out this year, which is I can't X- keep track. Yeah, fourth. Yes, Nine. Deadpool, Deadpool, Batman v Superman, Civil War, Civil this War. and this. Yes, right. so and that is X Men Apocalypse, uh, directed by Brian Singer, the fifth X Men film he has directed. The one, um, one that got away was The Last Stand, directed by Brett Ron- Ratner. Brett Ratner, pardon me, Ratner, Rotten Brett Ratner, by Brett Ratner. Sure was rotten. Yeah, I was just going there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you've, you've caught right up with the comedy on this show. Uh, this film stars James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence, Nicholas Holt, Oscar Isaac, Rose Byrne, Evan Peters, Josh Hellman, Sophie Turner, Ty Sheridan, Lucas Till, Cody Smith-McPhee, Ben Hardy, Alexandra Ship. Olivia Munn, William Shereer, and also, uh, what's his name? Wolverine. Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Just call him Wolverine. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty much all he is at this point. Yeah. Uh, Apocalypse uh, centers around the emergence of the world's first mutant, as the X-Men must unite to defeat his extinction-level plan. Things are better. The world is better. Just because there's not a war doesn't mean there's peace. He's coming. Some call him Apocalypse. He was some kind of god. For thousands of years, he's been amassing mutants to take their powers. He always had four followers. Like the four horsemen. Eric, don't join them. Whatever it is you think you saw in me, I buried it with my family. Together, we will cleanse the earth. Everything they've built will fall! And from the ashes of their world, we'll build a better one! I've never felt power like this before. Ah! 
They took him. Raven, the world needs the X-Men. I'm not a hero. Students look up to you. If I'm going to teach your kids something, I'm going to teach them how to fight. Follow me. To her. I'm not afraid of him. Magneto, he's my father. What? Him and my mom, they did. No, I know. Not all of us can control our powers. Then don't. Apocalypse means to destroy this world. It's all of us against a god and the most powerful beings on Earth. Forget everything you think you know. None of that matters. You're not students anymore. I'll take everything from them. You're X-Men. Well, you've been busy. We had a, a little help. So, um, Christina, Tucson, you guys are the people who are most into X-Men and or the comics here, I think. So I think you guys should start us off, whoever wants to go first, and then myself and Nick will, will follow suit. You know, I think I'm going to start off just because... Okay, this, you this have planted your, planted is, your flag and you're going to go first. Christina's first episode. I that don't makes put sense. On yeah, for sure. Um, I'm a leader, not a follower, but thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry, but I'm still going to go first. Okay. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I, I I I gotta admit I I don't think I got as much from this film as I wanted to get th- for it, from it, and I don't really know what I expected to get from it. It's like I'm just sort of I, I think that if you've maybe been following this podcast for the past couple of like four episodes for superhero films, I've just kind of been burnt out with them, and I think that I think that X Men Apocalypse is a is an okay. Uh, X-Men film. I think that it's a little less uh, interesting simply for the fact that the previous a lot of the previous uh, X-Men films, like some of the best ones, especially um, like X-Men First Class or even X-Men Days of Future Past like they're they're always typified by like two opposing sides having a common enemy and they kind of have to deal with like these, these stratified like clashing ideologies as they're trying to like either help the person who like is in the middle who's like like actually vying for for control or whatever or they're trying to stop them from doing that it's like i feel like that was really reduced in this film simply because i think that apocalypse is just not an interesting villain at all i think that uh, he's ultron he's he's the fucking ultron of this and he's he's ultron meets thanos meets meets some other stupid bullshit and i feel like his motivations are poorly explicated on or if that they're just way too black and white way too simplistic that he's basically just a like, if you strip away his powers, if you strip away the powers between the two characters, like, what's the real difference between Apocalypse and Magneto other than Magneto is more complex as a actual person standalone than Apocalypse, whereas Apocalypse is just, like, this standard, like, cookie-cutter megalomaniac who just wants to take over everything. I just I, – I, I, I don't want to harsh – I don't want to be too harsh on Oscar Isaac because I think he's a great actor. I just don't think that – Particularly, there's 
anything that he brought to this role because I don't think there's anything to bring to this role. Like, he's just... It's like, we'll build a better world. It's like, you can sling your arrows from the Tower of Babel, but you'll never strike God. That's another thing. Like, like I just realized... Big, blue, and more articulate Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, if I can throw this out really quickly, I don't yeah. think Marlon Brando could have made Apocalypse that much better. Like, I don't think there was much to do with there, that character. There's nothing to so. do with that character. Is that your like, go-to? Huh? Is that your go-to? Marlon, Marlon Brando? Yeah. What's wrong with Marlon Brando? I just no. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Marlon. Well, actually, there's a few things wrong with Marlon Brando. But yeah. I just like I didn't realize that when that you, was when you think of great actors, actors, you think of Marlon Brando because of Godfather. Oh, you're telling me what Ooh. I think of. Damn, damn, <laughs> son. damn, son. You damn. just backed the fuck up, damn, son. son. Damn. I, was, I was actually thinking of a lot of his more earlier roles, yeah. at, like on the waterfront or something okay. like that. But yeah, whenever I try to think of like a go-to for like a classic actor that people think of as a great actor that is unanimously thought of as a great actor. Marlon Brando, before he got fat, is one of my go-tos. No fat training. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean... Alex. If, Come on now. I mean... Alex. Just walk it back. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I mean... Okay. Alex. So what, what I was going at with that whole, like, slinging, slinging your arrows from the Tower of Babel and shit, I realized, like, after watching this film this, from the second time, like, there's been this consistent thread between... Like, the past three superhero films that I've seen with Batman v Superman all the way through um, Captain America Civil War and now this one is that they've all dealt in some way with, like, either God dying or God abandoning them or just, like, the heroes that you once looked up to are just, like, so shit now. And I'm just like – I it, it's weird – I, I made a joke on Twitter after I, I went to go see this the second time where I was just like, I wonder how many parents had to explain to their kids what Auschwitz was after going to see X-Men Apocalypse this weekend. Yeah, but they show Auschwitz in, like, I know. The, the first – no, in the first scene of, of the first X-Men film, like, it opens in Auschwitz. Yeah. But I'm not saying that it doesn't that, – that it's it's not – a lot of people would say that that's – tasteless but that's actually part of magneto's like backstory and i think it's appropriate to have that as part of his backstory because like he's literally coming out of one of the most horrific events in human history where the barbarism between one like one faction of humans against another and then he he basically has to come back and see is like now they're doing it to mutants and it's like i don't want that to happen again i've already witnessed that happen well i mean that's the big thing that jack kirby and uh steve Oh my goodness! You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. the main old, old guy who's in every single yeah, movie, including Stanley, this one. Stanley, Stanley, Steve. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's essentially why Stanley created the X Men. Is he wanted a parallel between the not the discrimination between the Nazis and the Jews to the X Men, like the mutants and normal people. And also, what was happening at the the time when the X Men were created, like the whole civil rights movement, mm-hmm. was like it's oh that's the whole story. Is like X Men are just a parallel to the civil rights movement and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, that has a. I think that's a big reason too why they tie into. Um, the whole Nazi thing is mm. that's such a big parallel because that's essentially what it was is you were judged on how you were born, mm-hmm. not what you look like. Um, I mean, minus the beast because you know, he's this big blue thing, right? but that's the main storyline that uh, Stanley really focused on when writing these comics. I think it's interesting that like this, this contemporary, um, this contemporary trilogy has kind of like t- taken place in different decades. Like the first one was in the sixties in the, the second one, like Days of Future Past, took place in the 70s, and now this one takes place in the 80s, and presumably the next one's going to take place in the 90s. But it seems like there's not really a lot of interaction with actual real life like situations, other than maybe like in the 
the first movie when they're dealing with like the Cuban Missile Crisis and other <laughs> or stuff. Professor X dressed in like Don Johnson and Miami Vice. I mean, yeah, but this like, doesn't really feel like an eighties movie. No, it, it doesn't, doesn't feel like because no. yeah. I'm saying it was like right. hitting the checklist of things that they're right. like. This is what people in the eighties did. Yeah, yeah. I will say what you guys were just bringing up earlier about um, the idea that you know the the X Men and the or I should say the, the dichotomy between mutants and humans mm-hmm. that are present in the X Men comics and the movies mm-hmm. of like hate versus uh, you know whatever tolerance coexistence acceptance what's interesting is this movie is certainly i mean all the movies have been certainly either about that or have shed light mm-hmm. more on it but also in this in this the very movie we're reviewing right now the uh, opening credit sequence uh was quite literally a roller coaster of <laughs> I, no literally <laughs> there was a fucking nazi symbol that just exploded yeah. and then it turned well, not into just a nazi but man. the whole thing is like an uh is like a history of iconography of of hate and mm-hmm. and because you see and of human history in general yeah right but i'm just saying and how present that kind of thing is like as we go through like it's like our history is made from our tragedy and not from our you know triumphs and so i just thought that was kind of interesting really quick what do you guys think of that opening scene because i thought it was very dull yeah i thought scene before the credits yes like the whole like like, the apocalypse yeah the transference from the old apocalypse to okay that that whole scene i'm i'm usually i've i've learned to wean myself off of the holes like that's not how it happened in the comics thing because i'm not even even going i'm just talking about in a pure in in the first uh scene of a film i think that scene existed only for two reasons and that was to show one to show oscar isaac without all the makeup it was like it was like hey we got oscar isaac in this movie because he doesn't look anything like himself like when he's actually like dressed up as, as as apocalypse and two to just like give a context for the MacGuffin that's going to be used at the end, the the, the ancient alien MacGuffin that's going to be used to transfer, like, Pro- Professor X's body consciousness with... Really, that was all used just so they had a reason to have Professor X, Professor X become bald, right? I mean, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was great. <laughs> yeah, that's... I mean, that's how I want to lose my hair, by an that's alien right. trying to be in my body. <laughs> oh... <laughs> I gotta say uh, that opening scene, I actually loved it. Uh, Did you really? Yeah, okay. I, when you look at current like the state of like the like the MCU films, think about like Civil War's opening. That's pretty mm-hmm. fucking boring. Besides the fact that there's no title card, like those movies try too hard to be grounded that mm-hmm. they forget that the reason why we go to see these movies is to be entertained and to like put on a show. There's so, a man in a costume about to beat the shit out of another man in a costume. What? I paid like, good money to see like in, in a superhero film, like people forget about that, right? But I'm just saying, like the the Civil War opening, I, I remember it because I saw it twice. So mm-hmm. it's it's the uh, the flashback going to the uh, the what is it? The you see Bucky December fourteenth, nineteenth. Which I'm not saying it's not an important scene or anything like that. But you compare something like that, which I think is very static and kind of lifeless and kind of like uh, a very limp way to open your movie mm-hmm. because you don't understand the importance of it until later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Compared to something like this, I think, besides the fact that I think uh, Brian Singer uh, has a visual language that most directors don't really bring to superhero movies, I think his, his use of colors and his use of, uh, I'd say, the mixture of CGI with you know actual sets or whatever, uh, I just I think it's great. So I I personally like I, I didn't care that I didn't know exactly what was happening or like who anybody is or anything like that because I'm like why like at least I'm asking questions like why am I watching this because mm-hmm. I I just thought it looked good I thought it was quite a literal like this is a pretty fucking I don't know audacious movie I was gonna say I mean I, 
I think you, like the the opening scene for me just said you have to turn your brain off for this yeah. one, like more than more of the most of the other X Men movies. Just fine because the large bowler that just goes sliding down all the way into yeah. the pyramid. I'm like, like, I couldn't stop that entire scene thinking about how did they set that up. I mean, I, I, just, I don't care. I thought <laughs> I thought it looked cool, and I like if you if you're a superhero movie asking me to use my brain, usually mm-hmm. that's how you're going to lose me. But yeah. if you're a superhero movie like X Men Apocalypse, saying like, what did it be? cool if we did this instead of actually thinking about logic then i i'm, I'm into it because at least we're finally utilizing what i think the genre does well so i i, I was a fan of that opening sequence okay not cool. saying it's like my favorite opening yeah. Yeah. movie but no i, I just was kind I was of like this like, is kind of weird i, I just <laughs> was kind of weird i was reminded so much of indiana jones yeah. slash the yeah. mummy from that opening scene I and that. i i just wanted to think about the small origin we got of Apocalypse more than anything. I feel like that got a little bit sidelined from that first scene for me. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Anything more to say in your opening remarks? Oh, uh, yeah. There's too many fucking characters in this film, and that doesn't really give them uh, proper room to actually develop them. I know that a lot of them have already been introduced in previous films, but that's in a different continuity, and these are also younger versions of those characters, and I kind of wanted to see what the differentiation between them was, and we didn't really get a lot of room to do that, and I thought that was really uh, just – I mean, it's it's a very standard – I mean, it's a superhero film. It's an it's a Brian Singer X Men film. It's pretty much one of the the prototype like templates of the modern contemporary superhero film. In that, like, you have the bad guy side that's accumulating all their team, and then the good guy side that's slowly understanding what the fuck's going on and like, getting their team together. And then they have set piece, and then we have another set piece, and then it's ending. I will hmm. say this: X Men movies, from what I can remember at least, seem to differentiate in one thing that I, I don't quite agree with, which is that you say that it set the it's like the prototype for and I agree, but one but the one original thing that's X Men. Right. But one thing that's actually different that I feel like a lot of X Men movies do mm-hmm. that I feel like barely any other superhero movies is have the bad guys be a team. Like so many MCU movies I'm thinking of just like, one guy. It's always one guy. And a bunch of cronies. Or like people who aren't even related to him or whatever. But like just think of the very first X Men movie. You had Magneto with his two uh Saber 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 right. So I'm just saying Toad. like I, I kinda like the idea that for me X Men is always about a team. Either if you're even if you're an evil, you know, whatever, you work with other people. Bad team, good team. I will say one thing that I, I had to almost like cringe laugh at when uh, there's the description um, about Apocalypse and his four followers and he always had the most powerful mutants who were his four horsemen or as it is in this movie the four mutants he happens to run into first so <laughs> well here, here's the thing uh, that scene really quick uh, can uh-huh. I just say the one where Professor Xavier goes to meet Moira, <laughs> yeah. Moira McTaggart to talk about Apocalypse it's a little rapey isn't it well besides that we can talk about that later <laughs> um, one thing that I almost did laugh out loud though at that scene is that it that scene reminded me of the scene in Face Off and that's not a good thing <laughs> even though I love Face Off but there's a scene in Face Off when after they've done the actual face swapping uh, Nicolas Cage apparently improvised this which makes a lot of sense because it's one of the stupidest fucking things ever he just keeps saying the word face off over and over he's like I want to take his face Face off Yes, thank you. Dishon. Thanks for you're always good at that. Taking them, so there. It, you know, and he just kept saying face in that scene in which uh, Xavier and uh, McTaggart they say apocalypse like 
12 times. Oh, okay. He's like, so, it, w- like, the end of the world? Like, an apocalypse. <laughs> oh, right. So, what's his name? Is he, like, the... He's an apocalypse. Like, like they, they say apocalypse 12 times, and all I get that good with Nicolas Cage, like, gesturing <laughs> his hand over his face. Anyway. I do, I do think uh, there is never a moment where he ever... Uh, that is apocalypse never refers to himself as that he only ever yeah, uses his yeah. prior name uh which i thought was was kind of cool especially in the glorious scene uh when him and the current three horsemen show up at the steel mill with michael fassbender and he just turns around and goes who the fuck are you <laughs> which i just like lost my shit and laughed out loud in the theater my wife was like embarrassed and almost walked out of the theater but that was great and he didn't like go I'm apocalypse or any bullshit like that so I like that he kept it 100 it was good yeah. see I had a very hard time with this movie I'm gonna be honest I always going into superhero movies especially X-Men and Spider-Man I try so hard to pull apart um, my comic book lover side because you know it's not gonna be the same you you know but it can't for, be but for me this movie I was so angry at this movie hmm. honestly if I had to rate it it would be a 3 out of 10 Okay. Honestly, like, wow. I don't know if it was me having my expectations too high or the fact that there was just so much going on. Like, for at one point, I literally said to my mother, I was like, what is happening during the scene where Gene is interacting with Logan when he's about to run out? There was no need for that. that yeah, they're going to bump. That, Later on in the future. Yeah, you know, like that interaction. Between, Kobe, when you come of age. <laughs> you know, so for me, this movie was... Uh, <laughs> It was very hard to watch on my side because I grew up with these superheroes. You know, I grew up with that 90s cartoon cartoon show. I grew up with the comics. So for me, going into it, uh, it's kind of like what Tucson said. There were so many characters and the main characters that I grew up with weren't acknowledged or they were portrayed. Fucking Jubilee. They were portrayed in just a way that wasn't fair to them. Like um, my big thing especially was Storm. Storm is a key component in the main X-Men as it grows and she was given six lines in the whole movie. More than Psylocke, though. She's been sidelined pretty yeah. much in the entire series for the most part. She's like a storm on the horizon. No. Perpetually. The, the character that uh, my wife Emily always complains about that's really never been given a chance at all is Gambit. So oh, I love Gambit. Gambit. Most people do. Which I mean, yeah. They can't figure out why he hasn't been there. So. See, there was a movie in line for him for, with um, Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum yeah. And then it suddenly stopped and I'm in uproar. Because <laughs> <laughs> X-Men Origins. Yeah. Wolverine. So. Hey, um, that is Taylor Kitsch at his best, okay? <laughs> Savages has nothing on that movie. You know, so for me, this movie was hard because the, the characters weren't as, like, they weren't explored as well or they were different. Um, big movie, big comic fans, at least, in my my side, is Havoc and Scott Summers. So Alex Summers and their dynamic is completely backwards. In the comics, Scott's the older brother, mm-hmm. Havoc's the younger. So it's, uh, for me, when that happened, I was like, hold on, what? <laughs> So there was a lot wrong with it on my end. I will say, though, uh, throughout this kind of new trilogy of X-Men with, with the younger characters, there have been a lot of hints at things that come forward. So mm-hmm. is that something that you enjoyed? Because little things uh, like uh, in Days of Future Past when Wolverine shoots out his his claws and they are not metal yet, mm-hmm. and Magneto says something to the tune of... Well, what if those were metal or something like that? Like, I, I've i really enjoyed those little kind of connections to the, the later series and little winks because I, I love that kind of shit for the most part. And <laughs> I'm not huge into the comics at all because I, I'm not a comic book fan. So maybe for me, it just doesn't tear my core. But 
was it just the small things or, or is it whenever they make little winks at things like that you really just don't care for that at all the winks i enjoy because it does stay true to the comics but the overall for me it was you know um the biggest issues were the fact that nightcrawler is there and he happens to be the same age as them when in other series he is the do- the son of mystique mm-hmm. and so you're kind of checking out that dynamic um Storm being their age, and honestly, from even the beginning of this series with James McAvoy as Professor Xavier, I've mentioned before in the very first in X Men First Class, I instantly stopped liking the movie when oh. um, he how he becomes paralyzed because that's not it at all. It's completely different in the comics, and it's a very big pivotal point in the series. It was kind of hilarious when you actually like told me about it i'm sure that it's a lot more dramatic and heartbreaking when you yeah. read it but just like thinking of this this fucking asshole named the shadow thief rolling fucking boulders at professor x in egypt it's like yeah. i just imagine like like a donkey kong game where it's just <laughs> like fuck you professor x yeah for anyone who doesn't know professor xavier actually becomes paralyzed in um a kind of you know mudslide accident when trying to protect storm so it's kind of it develops their relationship which in turn shows how loyal storm is so in this movie, she's kind of more loyal to Mystique, which is very odd to me. And the fact that they're making her kind of a heroine really upsets me as well because she's even in the like, and I'm just pulling from my like extended universe knowledge about X Men. It's like even in like the revisionist like cartoon like X Men Evolution, like Storm was still like the same age as Logan. She was still in that role as being mm-hmm. like Professor X's like right hand. She's like, always been his right hand because always, yeah. Honestly, it's her fault that yeah. he's in the chair. Yeah, it's it's, it's not Magneto's. It's her fault. But it's, it's, that's it's, a whole different. It's world. interesting. I. Uh, I I guess my feeling on it has always been my feeling on the differences between media that has lots of uh, content, which is comic books, especially mm-hmm. X-Men comic books, which has, I don't, couldn't even tell you how many issues there are, and there are eight X-Men films, mm-hmm. so you, you have a limited amount of space where you can do things if you want to, to show the origin of that kind of thing, and if you change it, you you are going to make some people upset, or some <laughs> people are going to be like, oh, that's cool. See, the problem is, now, is... I know no difference, so I just always think that Xavier yeah. is paralyzed on a beach in Cuba for some reason. <laughs> so, I mean, overall, like the movie itself, I think if I detached myself and watched it again, I think I would enjoy it. But even then, I tried to do that like the first time I watched it, and I thought, "Well, I don't know who the fuck these characters are." Then, yeah, coming coming at it at a comic book fan is always hard when you're trying to see your movies come to life. Yeah. Okay. Always. Well, I'm going to give my initial thoughts, if, if that's okay with everybody. <laughs> Go for it, buddy. Uh, I saw all the sort of negative reviews for this film, and I kind of thought I knew where they were coming from, because from seeing the trailer and knowing what this story was going to be about, I thought this was going to be a, a misstep for the, for the series. And I have to say that I believe that was all incorrect, because I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Um I was not a huge fan of the original X-Men trilogy. I, I enjoy all of the films, even The Last Stand. I'm the only person who is thinks is, is able to tolerate The Last Stand. You're making The Last Stand for The Last Stand. I'm not. I mean, it's not a really good movie at all. <laughs> I'll watch it. If it's on, I'll watch um, it. And for, for people who love the comics, it just pretty much destroys everything, probably, that they... That they hold near and dear to their heart but for me luckily I, these movies have tried to forget it they, they, right. they've not tried to well, they have they, yeah they, they've went out of their way to to just throw it out under the bus and just being like yeah the third one always sucks yeah so they <laughs> that, mentioned that it was in the great movie. yeah, yeah. 
Uh, but this film, I just kind of like with uh, Civil War, I felt like this got a little bit back to the roots of what superhero films are supposed to be, which are all for entertainment value and um, showing off what you want to see with your favorite characters. Uh, the climactic scene of this film is an absolutely fabulous superhero scene uh, that involves characters' powers and involves them sort of kind of changing sides or, or making major decisions. And it, it just was, I was just very into it. And I thought the inclusion of Jean Grey's character sort of becoming the Phoenix in that moment and sort of apocalypse, almost looking like a, almost like a proud Papa as he's getting murdered is, is kind <laughs> of a, a really weird scene, but it, it, it also um, is very interesting for, for the series as, as Jean Grey goes on and she's a character who has uh, a very dark future in her, in her, um, in, in the comics, right? I, I, I don't know everything about her, but I, I do know that, that she almost is... She's one of the most powerful and the most dangerous uh, entities in the X-Men universe. Which is why I feel like in this film it makes total sense that she is the one who kills Apocalypse. I'm pissed off that they killed Apocalypse, honestly, because like well, he's not I... supposed to die. I mean, you really don't see him die. You kind of see him disappear. Yeah. And so it's always that, what if? Like, what if he's still out there? I guess. They don't die, they just fade away. You That's know. just the wave. But it, it it made sense for me and someone, and I love the view. Uh, and it was something that I, I me and Nick talked about right after the film that should have happened in Age of Ultron, where all the characters should have brought their powers together to defeat the undefeatable villain, which basically happens here. You have Magneto, who you know me, Nick does. I love when the major uh, supervillains or superheroes sort of kind of change it, change it up a little bit and, and work for the other side, which. Not that Magneto doesn't have a history of doing, because he does work with the X-Men quite often in the film franchise. But also, you get to see uh, Cyclops use his powers. You get to see pretty much everybody get involved. And I, I just really enjoyed seeing that, because it's it's something that I, I like in superhero films, especially the X-Men, which is so much about the team mm -hmm. and about uh, all of the characters working together, which which I really enjoyed. I already mentioned on Apocalypse, I love Oscar Isaac. He's my favorite actor at the current time. There was really nothing he could have done with this role, unfortunately. There wasn't really much there. Kind of the same thing that happened with Ultron, where there was just not much for uh, James Spader to bring to the role. Even less. Because well, <laughs> he just did voice acting. I know. Yeah. But but he, he there was nothing he really could do to make that character be good. Uh, so it was it was unfortunate, and it, you know it, it also wasn't horrible though. It wasn't like cringeworthy bad uh, as I thought it could be, like Ivan Ooze from the from the Power Rangers, as he he's, he kind of looked like. But uh, I I did uh, have some reservations about some of the younger characters and uh, the way that they were brought throughout the film, as it felt a, a little bit like Star Wars: The Force Awakens to me at times, where you're you're forced the three new characters who are going to lead the series in the future as we see Professor X and Magneto ride off into the sunset. And since we need to have more X-Men movies, because you know what? The franchise can't die. We're going to have these three young people lead the series mm -hmm. from now on. So I, I thought they were a little shoehorned into some of the parts of the film. Um, but at the same time, I enjoyed pretty much everything from this film from start to finish uh, with, 
uh, minus a couple parts that I probably could have dealt without. But it was just a good superhero movie for me, and I I, I like seeing it, and I and I want to see it again because it was just it was just a fun ride for me. I mean, honestly, I was very harsh on the movie. The one thing I will give them is the chemistry between the characters I thought was very good, especially the dynamic between Scott and Gene. Those two actors, they worked very well together considering how young they were. Yeah, Ty Sheridan as Cyclops was fantastic, I thought. And also, Mm -hmm. too, he just really did remind me of uh, James Martin, a younger version of him playing that character. So I thought his snarkiness and, mm-hmm. and the way he wore the glasses even, it's a really stupid thing to worry about, but I, I thought he did a really good job with it. So Yeah, so that's the one thing. I know I'm very harsh on this movie, but I will <laughs> give the characters themselves, even though they weren't who I wanted them to be, I think they did a very good job, especially for for Scott, because in the comics he's kind of seen as like this kind of a jerk who's always just obsessed with Gene. So you kind of do get a, a better sense of him. Because you even see that in the other X-Men movies. He, all he cares about is Gene. And that's really all he does is yell her name mm-hmm. repeatedly every, everywhere. But um, I did like that. I'll give Ty Sheridan that. He did a very good portrayal of Cyclops and Scott Summers. I would agree, obviously. <laughs> all right, let's move on to Nick real quick and uh, and hear his thoughts. I know you are a big fan for the most part of the uh, the x-men superhero series i am I, mm-hmm. I don't really like superhero movies in general like almost at all <laughs> uh but the x-men have always the films i've never read a single comic book but the x-men films have always had a weird stranglehold on me that i'm like you know i i, I and i think it's because i there's something about the format of an x-men movie that in my opinion brings out the best and the shall we say like even the limitations of like a superhero genre film are at their best in an X-Men movie because for example you both I think Christina and Toussaint have understandably said that there's like too many characters in this movie I would say that's a criticism of like every superhero movie that comes out today whether it be Civil War you know Batman versus Superman I mean not that there's like a million in there mm-hmm. but like we think more is better these days uh, whereas in an X-Men movie I, I that's okay with me because they're team based what? they're team based yes yeah. like it's it's always been about the group versus over the individual so if I don't get the clear nuanced uh, characterization of each and every member it, it doesn't really bother me in the same way that I'm like we have three fucking films on uh, you know uh, Thor or something like that and yeah. he's been in this and then whatever and I still feel like he's not a character or something like that you know like can it, you it, name off the his any of his companions like any of Thor's like uh, Asgardian Lady Sif. Lady Sif is cool and that's really it that's all I can name uh, the guy with the beard who drinks too much mead and eats too much the guy who uh, they changed actors between the first and the second film and nobody even noticed. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You're like, uh, I just thought about that. Holy um, shit. Yeah. But, I, like, oh. it, can I say something to your point real quick? Please uh, do. I will say that I feel like the X-Men series has done exactly what you're saying. Uh, although I do think there has been a better focus in a lot of the earlier films. Like we have the focus on Rogue and Wolverine in the first X-Men film. Uh, and other characters throughout the the entire series, where this film, I couldn't even tell you who I, I really think the focus is on. Can, can, like I'm not saying that these movies aren't getting unwieldy or anything like that, mm-hmm. because I think every superhero movie, like I'm saying, you know, I think that's just the state of the union right now when it comes to superhero movies. Um, and I do agree that, like you say, uh, Rogue in the first movie was pretty much a main character, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if not Logan. Um, but the... Uh, but I, it, 
a lot of the flaws of I would bring against a lot of other superhero movies don't really seem to bother me in any X-Men movie. And uh, this X-Men Apocalypse was no exception because I just had fun watching it, and that's kind of all I really want. Um, I thought the uh, Quicksilver scene, like I was kind of surprised that I loved his scene in Days of Future Past. I was surprised by the fact that they would basically rehash it, and I still loved it this time it's around. Not, it doesn't even feel like like it's the same scene in concept but it's just yeah. an improvement and i think yeah. honestly that's one of the best scenes not only in a superhero film i've seen all year it's probably one of the funniest scenes <laughs> i've seen all year it's probably going to end up on our on our on our top list like it's just fucking incredible yeah i like so many people raved about the days of future past scene and mm-hmm. i did like that scene a lot yeah. but it, i would say it was this one this I one was, deserved it yeah like i was like that is actually pretty especially because it was not just like in the last one it was him just in the one room uh if mm-hmm. um going on the offense, so to speak, whereas I love that this was, like, a legit plot point, because, like, if they're going to blow up the school, they actually do need to get kids out of the school. So the fact that it was huh. it was this marriage of, like, an actual plot point, but also, like, this extended another music video that was period-appropriate with yeah. Eurythmics uh, was just fantastic. I, I actually really enjoyed, too, the uh, the much smaller scene of him punching Apocalypse a bunch yeah, of times. That yeah, was that, was, that was great. I thought that was quite enjoyable. That was, oh, God, that was good. <laughs> so, yeah, there... Okay, it's another, I guess the best way for me to explain what I liked about this movie is to kind of comment on what I hear a lot of people didn't like about this movie. Mm. So here's another example. I heard a lot before I saw this movie about the Wolverine cameo and how from a lot of people that it was so shoehorned in that like Marvel should be ashamed of themselves and whatever. I saw this, and maybe maybe that's why I like this movie overall, because I just heard so much shit lobbied against this that I just don't understand why people think there's such a disparity between these uh, X-Men movies and, like, the MCU films. It doesn't make sense for... after from, from the knowledge of what we left off of from the end of Days of Future Past, it doesn't make sense that he has been captured again, because it really showed... Because it showed that at the end of, of Days of Future Past that he actually escaped Stryker, didn't it? No. Yeah, because it shows that Raven was taken him and not Colonel Stryker. Yeah, Stryker's. but he gets, he gets taken – he can get taken 10 years later. Right. So. I mean that's uh, why I, I, I'm saying you're both right in the sense yeah, that yeah. it does show that he does escape at the end of Days of Future Past. But because these movies take place like in such a huge time vacuum, it does not bother me. But they always look the same. Something. Yeah, that was my biggest issue. Well, uh, every character between 10, 10 years. Oh, right, right. Well, well, well there's well, not, like, not much you can do about that. We're talking yeah. about Wolverine, so I'm like, well, technically Wolverine's supposed to somewhat yeah, look the yeah. same. Right. Right. Yeah, but and, and all I was talking about is that like something like the Wolverine cameo did not bother me whatsoever because I was like it's fan service. But for me at least, I thought it was actually kind of a cool tie-in with the whole Project X, which ties into Colonel Striker's kind of back storyline that's been going on in the film franchise. Again, I don't know how this deviates from the comics, and I don't uh, even really it's, like it's, it's not going to affect me. It's so. It's deviated so far from the comics that it's even hard to even try to have, at least for me, to have a contention with it just because, like, well, in that case, like, Deadpool should have been part of, like, like this team. But it's just, like, it's it's the, the more you keep on pulling that thread, and I totally understand, like, people who, who get worked up about that. It's like, the more you pull this thread, the more just going to unspool and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. But here's the thing. Like, you don't hear the same people saying, in my opinion, how ridiculous that mm-hmm. Tony Stark would go recruit Spider-Man. And, like, I thought that was 
more force than this Wolverine cameo. I'm just saying. It's Tony Stark does actually recruit Spider-Man in the, the, comics? In the yeah. original Civil War comic. Okay, well, I didn't actually know that. Yeah. But, <laughs> it, but that doesn't... Uh, here's the thing. Now we're getting into tricky territory. I know, because yeah. yeah. So that's our only basis to like a movie is if they did exactly well, like the comic and, because no, in this no. in the Civil War it felt weird because Spider Man didn't exist in these movies and Tony's just gonna go call a seventeen year old kid like, exactly it, so it, that's what I mean by it, whether it happened in the comics that doesn't mean that it's good and whether it mm-hmm. didn't happen in the comics mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that it's bad the f- fidelity to source material is not always the the final parameter of the actual quality of the product itself but rather how it actually builds upon the the basis of that material like there's there there's like like even the original spider-man like sam raimi spider-man like i enjoyed that because i felt like it like touched on a lot of the the crucial elements like in the early like development of that character it it wasn't a a one-for-one like translation but i still felt like it still touched on like the touchstones of what defines that character can i say the exact opposite actually for the uh, the wolverine cameo i know because you love spider-man <laughs> i was not talking at all about oh. that film i was talking about wolverine and, and well, i thought you meant the exact opposite of like so like the comparison right. nah. no no i was talking Sorry. about the exact opposite about him being forced into this movie where i actually felt like his cameo made total sense in mm-hmm. in the grand scheme especially kind of the lead up to it when we see the helicopter flying through the snowy mountains and i bummed your shoulder i'm like oh no i know where this is going know exactly where this is going and it paid off and it i thought it worked out pretty well i know that there's contentions with the ending of the the uh, wolverine scene which i i can kind of understand i hope we never see that guy again don't worry you won't not in your own films anyway yeah but i I don't know i i i thought the the build-up to it and the setup to it was 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 good and especially after seeing X-Men Origins Wolverine, kind of seeing the way Wolverine escapes makes much more sense mm-hmm. in this film than, than in that movie, which were, that was the entire uh, through line of the, of the film. See, did you have, I was going to say, yeah, did you have see, more? Yeah, I agree with the Wolverine cameo. I actually did enjoy it because I'm a big Wolverine fan. And you kind of see the relationship between Stryker, Logan, and the rest of the X-Men. So it kind of ties them all in. The, the, the funniest part with Stryker is when he sees everyone get get their shit ripped to pieces. He and he's, he's just so calm about it. He's just like... I'll be right back. Just, he, yeah, he, and he walks calmly down the fucking hallway. It's like, boy, I hope Wolverine is in around the next corner. You know, so I did enjoy his cameo because it was it was fun as a fan to be like, oh, of course Logan's here. Like, it's great to see that he's connected. Mm-hmm. So for me, his cameo was was good. I did like it. I just did not like the interaction between him and Gene because there was no need. I want there's no need for them to interact. He could have gone killing everyone out and escaping and being fine, and they could have still done everything they did. And then the entire sequence too is like just like a, as another aside, like it's another great moment. Like even though Quicksilver doesn't have a lot of like, I don't think he has a lot of screen time besides like that 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 big like like part where he's just like racing through the actual like mansion and like saving everybody. Well, he's in the climax of the film. I know he's in the climax I of the film. He's like, apocalypse. much more of a character in this than he was in the last movie. Yeah, yeah. like I, I just really enjoyed like whatever humorous moments he did have because it was just like what the fuck's going on? It's like what's what's happening? It's like we don't know. We don't know, bro. It's like, <laughs> I just think it's funny that throughout this whole movie, Hugh Jackman basically got paid to run around naked. Yeah. Like essentially that's that's all he got to do. Yeah. 
Except not literally naked, because at first I was like, "Oh my god, is he going to be naked in this?" <laughs> Nothing at all. And I was kind of into Nothing that because I'm all. like, we don't. Well, we don't see too many like just naked superheroes going around. If he was like a true animal, like he was acting, I don't think he would have just stopped to put on pants. Well, the Hulk wears pants because he's not a savage. So yeah, he is a man a of, lot of science. Elasticity in those. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess to wrap up my yeah. uh, original thoughts, it's just that like it's it's I can't really explain why I like these movies. I just think that they're fun. I I have no attachment to the comics, so I don't have that to bring with. And in general, these movies, I be, there, there's something about like I said earlier, there's something about this format that just totally works for me in a way that most other superhero movies don't. And I really thought that there was a good chance I wasn't gonna like this movie because. Uh, you know, I, I don't love the X-Men movies. Like, they're not, like, my favorite mm-hmm. movies of all time or anything like that. So I could very easily dislike an X-Men movie. In fact, I have. Uh, the Last Stand, uh, I haven't seen X-Men Wolverine Origins, but I can't imagine I would like that. Uh, <laughs> although I am in the minority, and, and I love the uh, the second, the Wolverine movie, yeah. uh, which a lot of people did not. Um, but these movies just do something in a way that I think, honestly, and you can... Anybody can disagree whether it's a seed or not, but I genuinely think that the X-Men films are the most ambitious superhero franchise, uh, is the most ambitious superhero franchise. When it comes to sheer audacity of scale and time and place and uh, narrative, uh, because instead of like doing something like the MCU in which that's, I would say monetarily audacious because you know, they want to have like everybody gets their own trilogy and they all meet up in this movie here. We don't get that much variation. And that's why these movies do feel overstuffed because everybody has to show up in each movie. But here we have like, let's retcon this with time travel. Let's move this character. Let's have a younger character play an actor instead of uh, whatever the fuck was going on in the civil war with Robert Downey Jr. Um, you know, like I love the idea that it feels like a comic book. Like they're, yeah. they're constantly changing, evolving, and they're doing whatever they I think feel the need to do uh, to just give us the most fun outing they can with these characters. And one other thing I'll say is that also, and I kind of briefly mentioned it earlier, I do think Brian Singer's uh, direction uh, when it comes to the cinematography and the use of lighting is way more, I would say, conscious than anything that is happening currently in in uh, MCU right now. Um, th- there are some striking shots, I thought, in this movie uh, that, that can that can be very mundane scenes, possibly, but they're elevated by the fact that he thought to put, for no reason, but I don't care because it looks good, a, a like in the warehouse when they recruit Angel. Uh, you know, you have a green light on this window and an orange light in that window. Like, th- these things make me feel like I'm watching a comic book come to life, and it mm. looks good, and I want to keep flipping to the next page. And that's the only thing I really care about when I watch these kind of movies. I, so. will, I will agree that, yeah, like, I think that his his color composition and his actual like scene composition does seem a lot more interesting, a lot more varied than what I'm typically used to from a, like a DC film as of right now. And a, and a Marvel film. It's yeah. like, I, I, I can't tell you, I, I, I cannot tell you one time where I've actually watched a Marvel film and be like, damn, that's a really good shot. And I'm just yeah. like, it's, it's all more utilitarian in service of just like, it's not that Marvel films look bad, 
but they look completely indistinguishable from one another. They're just homogenous, dude. Right, and and even something like First Class, directed by Matthew Vaughn, has a much different visual and editing style than something like X-Men Apocalypse. And I love that it, they're allowed to do that here, and, and we see clearly uh, in, in Marvel Studios they're not allowed to do that because they will fire you yeah. <laughs> or you'll quit on your own accord. Or they'll make you do reshoots. Right. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I just I, I never know what I'm going to get when I watch an X-Men movie, and that's that's pretty fun. Uh, so I, I enjoyed X-Men Apocalypse. It's it's silly. It can be dumb. It, it can, you know, there's not that everything about it is perfect or anything like that. But if you're going to be stupid, then at least have fun doing it. There's, there's one uh, thing that's just kind of like hiding in plain sight just because of how large of a discrepancy it is. And it doesn't make any fucking sense. But we kind of just like shrug our shoulders at it just because it's kind of like part of the the common language of superhero films right now. It's like Apocalypse single-handedly destroys and remakes the entirety of, of, of Cairo, the city of Cairo, into this giant ancient alien uh, pyramid. And there are no dead people and there's no onlookers and there's no people in this fucking city, especially even when you're when you have the X-Men fighting the four horsemen like – there's nobody in this fucking city. Uh, I know you just shrug <laughs> her shoulders on it. It's like I don't really care. I just like was like. I mean, at, the, at that point, is 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 that something you really need to think about when you're trying to set up a large set piece like that? Especially when the film's already at a two hour and twenty five minute runtime. I mean, yeah. you could have you could have at least shown him like lifting up the people and just. But like, he's not decom- going to because apocalypse doesn't care about humans so it no 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 matter. that's what i'm not saying that he's, oh, he's right. not caring about the humans like literally he doesn't care about the humans so they're all getting swept up in this matter storm and being like yeah remolded into this actual like pyramid it, but that actually kind of makes sense for his character so that actually it, makes sense for his character it, it works a little better here than it does in like superman slaughtering all the humans in the uh the scene in uh i'm saying that i would have liked to have seen that in this film here, here's what i'll what, say oh Here's here's what I'll say. I think we're about, saying different things here, so that's yeah. that's cool. Here's what I'll say about the X Men <laughs> movies, and that well, when it comes to like uh, casualties that may occur, like mm-hmm. that's never really been a concern of mine when I'm watching these movies. The same way it is like when I watch a Superman movie, and I'm like, he's killing a lot of people here. <laughs> Look at those he people. Needs, yeah, he needs like some help, or <laughs> he needs like, help killing all these people. <laughs> or um, there's like, too many of when, them. When we watch like the Avengers and such. Um, in fact, those two are great examples. You have super, like the Zack Snyder world in which it doesn't matter. Like, it's just, they're not going to comment on it until they do because of internet outcry. And it's like, who fuck cares? Um, or you have like the Avengers where they try to be so grounded and they make that their actual narrative drive. Like you, people don't trust you anymore because you kill people, even though like the evidence I feel like completely outweighs like what, where humans going to take on that fucking thing that's fallen out of the sky. Like nine times out of 10, I'm going to run. Right. Like bye. The X-Men movies, uh, are all about interpersonal conflict. So, the idea like i'm never worried because i don't think the movies care about whether the humans will get destroyed i'm only worried whether people can you know still patch up their old relationships with each other it's funny too because in uh this trilogy of x-men films which is kind of different in the the original ones 
the Brian Singer and uh, Brett Ratner ones. But in this series, it's almost always exclusively mutants fighting other mutants. Like yeah. you never see mutants slaughtering humans or anything like that or having huge well, agendas. Well, wouldn't be much of a fight. I, I understand this. Uh, however, I feel <laughs> like that is a much larger part of the yeah. the, the storyline in the, in the later films or the earlier films, if you want to call them that, where here we see a lot of mutant-on-mutant violence for the right. most part, even if the main reason why is because of, because of humans. But. Well, and I actually think that that's a strength of this series because of the fact that I think, for me, at least as a film franchise, that... I think the mutant, the fact that it is always coming down to mutant versus mutant, besides the glib joke I make about how you can't really fight a human because that wouldn't be very fair, is the idea that mutants are no different than humans. When you're on that same playing field, mutants are humans just with powers. Right, so Mm -hmm. conflict is the same exact, shall we say, the same emotions and temperament and all that. It's just they're the ones who end up fighting in such a large scale, but there's no different than like a a two countries going to war, that kind of thing. And it's always a battle of ideologies. In fact, I would argue, and I said this on our Civil War episode, but I'll say it again now that I've seen the newest iteration of the X-Men movies, that the this is how you do a Civil War kind of... They've been doing Civil War films for for the better part of like fucking... 15 years. Right, I mean, they did it for the very first X-Men movie, but the Charles and uh, Magneto uh, bromance that's been going on since the very first movie has always, I thought, been more emotionally nuanced and a better ideological conflict than what they were able to cook up in Civil War. Yeah, like the whole uh, face-off scene in the original X-Men where uh, Magneto has taken all the cops' guns and he's aiming all, all of them, and then like there's like this stalemate between him and Professor X, and it's just like you might stop maybe one or two, but you're not going to stop all of them. And I was like, that's oh, this is so fucking intense. Yeah. I always yeah. find it funny that the big issue in like these mutant movies is that mutants are so scared of being found out and like scared of normal people, mm-hmm. which I understand the the mindset because they're going to capture you and test on you. But when you really think about it, like you shouldn't be scared at all. You have these incredible powers and you can, like Nick said, you could easily beat these humans easily. But will your parents support you? Yeah. Will, you your, know. will your friends support you? Will your lovers support you? So right. it's, it's yeah. always so weird to think that your greatest strength is your biggest weakness. Right. Well, Cause you could either, it's, it's, it's that toss up between, do I want to live a life of just beating the shit out of humans and not being loved? Or do I want to try to conceal it and uh, conceal? Don't feel. That's yeah. right. Elsa. There is Let a- it go. <laughs> It was three years ago. <laughs> there is a reason why, and it's not just because Ian McClellan and Michael Fassbender play him, but why Magneto is one of the greatest villains of all time. Because he's so gorgeous. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's, well, Michael Fassbender is a good-looking guy. Whoa. <laughs> what do you have against Ian McClellan? Also well, a good-looking He's man. a good-looking man, too. But okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. A little too old for me at this point, so... Open up your mind, man. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, uh, getting back to what the point I was going to make is Magneto is such a great villain because he does have sort of not necessarily feelings for the X Men, but but he's not has feelings. (laughs) He's he sometimes ends up working with them, which is such a, a villain trait that we don't really see in a lot of these stories where either Apocalypse is the villain or Ultron is the villain or Red Skull is the villain, where they have no sort of connection with the heroes in the film. They are just simply going against them, where Magneto always seems to be kind of torn for some reason. Even if he is a horrible person, he does have these strange feelings that he seems to want to be a a real person. A real boy. 
What? He wants to be a real boy. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was good. But uh, we see it more so in this film, too, where he actually has lived a somewhat normal life. And the the only time, the, the thing that gets him in trouble is trying to save a human. Right. <laughs> That's Which fucked is, up. Yeah. That's, it he, is. He keeps on getting the short end of the stick. <laughs> All the goddamn... The dude... Can you, can you imagine? The, the dude... He just wants a family. The dude... <laughs> First Auschwitz. ...is, is, is <laughs> Jewish yeah. and... and Undergoes and see his his family being killed in Auschwitz, and then he finds out he's a mutant. So then he's even in a smaller subgroup that is then persecuted, and then he loses his friends on a beach in Cuba, and then he tries like like go away and just fuck off somewhere and not be a bad guy anymore. <laughs> have a family and just like be a good man, save somebody's life, and then. Oh, you say he saves like a very innocent and human. like random human a human's life. And like, yeah. he didn't have to do that. That's right, he outed have. himself. Just I know, like, and that's and why he, I love him. And then he just like, sh- and he literally kills them in 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 a, an incredible way, simply because like he uses a metal artifact that is actually the locket that's the picture of the people that he lost. So yeah. his loss will constantly manifest manifest itself into violence in his present day life. And it's like, is this who I am? And it's just yeah. like, can I be nobody else? But why can't we have more depth in our villains these days? Like, it seems like, and I. I I don't know much about the comics, so I, I don't really have much to speak there. But Apocalypse, Ultron, a lot of these recent villains in the superhero movies have just been throwaway villains. That like they're supposed to be the the biggest villains, some of the biggest villains in the series, and they're just like there to Doctor Evil it up, and and then they're whisked away at the end of the film. Where Magneto has been this great villain throughout in the early in the Spider Man series. Uh, Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin was fantastic. Because his face looks like a fucking goblin face. That anyway. isn't necessarily why. Or Dr. Octopus, also a fantastic villain in the second Spider-Man yeah. movie. But it just seems like villains haven't had any depth to them. And Magneto is There's, one of the most deep villains ever in any I superhero movie. I think it all comes down to, shall we say, causality like it, or, and fatalities. Like if, you, if you're hiring somebody who's going to be killed off in a movie, most people don't want to touch that. But because Magneto is the kind of villain that is lives on through many iterations of these stories and is always a present, then I think you can attract somebody who really wants to bring something to the role. Because uh, it's not like, like superhero movies really they should try to do like the bond method where it's like if you can't get emotionally nuanced then at least get somebody who's allowed to like do something and come in and you know just do you know steal the show or at least try to see you know what's funny i've always um whenever i have the argument with people of marvel versus dc i'm a very big marvel fan i grew up on it but i will always give credit to dc villains are so intricate and just so you see why they're so evil. They give more of a fuck about the villains than they do about their actual heroes. Yeah, you because know, they're so... meant to be a foil to like the the archetypal like ideal that those superheroes in the DC continue at least are supposed to be. So that, because they're not humans who have superpowers, they are superpowers that have to deal with like leaving being human. Mm-hmm. So like that's the big thing for Magneto to be such a villain down to his core because of what has happened to him, rather than you know just wanting money, just wanting. Things to kill. He's he's not even he's he's at a point now in in X Men Apocalypse where like in the previous films even in the the pre existing continuity before all this happened like he I I don't even want to say that he's just a bad guy I think he's like severely misled I think he's uh, fanatical um, but I think that at the heart of of his intentions like he just really wants to create 
uh, a small par- pocket of the world where mutants don't have to be persecuted anymore. He really yeah. just wants his he wants his people to be okay. Like in, in he wants his brotherhood, man. Yeah, right. exactly. In in the second film, like when he's on the plane with um like like the days of days of future past when he's on the plane with uh Professor X and they're having an argument and he starts like shaking the plane and like saying off the names of the people who ki- were killed in the previous film. Was like, do you even fucking remember their names? And it's just like, and now in Apocalypse, he's just like, dude, just fucking burn it all down to the fucking ground. Well, I don't care out, anymore. Well, nine times out of ten, when you really look at it, Magneto just wants to be left alone. He just wants to be left That's the fuck alone. End of, like, end of the line, he just wants to be left alone. People and, keep killing his family. You know. I will say there is almost a, like, family. a comically <laughs> ridiculous uh, revelation. I know it's not a revelation, but I just thought it was funny the way Apocalypse says it, where he says, there's metal in the earth. You can You can make the earth move. I'm like... Did like Magneto not like get a school lesson? Oh wait, 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 wait! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he went I mean, to Auschwitz. <laughs> yeah, what? No, literally, he didn't go to school. Well, like, I, he went straight to Auschwitz. But I, he basically trained his entire life. He's like, always I, been there, fun, <laughs> fighting <laughs> Nazis and hunting them down in Argentina I, and other places. But I got you. But that yeah. that line uh, about. Um, like the, the the metal like inside the earth and stuff like that actually leads into like I one feel of the earth. That's actually one of my <laughs> under my feet. That actually leads into like one of my favorite and most like <laughs> cringeworthy uh, lines Little in this Carol film <laughs> when uh, you see the, the the United States like generals or whatever in that giant room and there's like that scientist is just like yeah I was like we haven't had like a magnetic concentration like this since like when we experienced in Auschwitz and I'm just like this. Oh my god, that is the most unfortunately that is the most unfortunately worded sentence, and I know that it's it's appropriate in the context of this film, but why it's did like you in have- the Fast and Furious movie, The Race Wars. <laughs> Yeah, they they named the fucking race race war race wars. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. See, oh, I just man. think it's so funny that like Magneto's power. I think what makes him such a good villain is you don't realize the limits of his power until it's kind of too late. Like you don't in, know my power. Yeah, like in the first, like even in the original, like the first trilogy movies, when he takes the iron out of someone's blood, oh. you're just like you don't even think about that. Like, right. but he does think about that. That's how connected he is with his own powers hmm. so i gotta say one thing i loved about this movie um is that there was a moment when it was gonna stoop to i thought batman v superman levels of horror. martha sorry yes <laughs> no that's back why did the you moment. say her name <laughs> well that's the moment i was talking about where like okay. the only way to resolve a conflict is to throw out a plot contrivance which also civil war did with, but not no, solve the conflict are, are you but, saying with quicksilver yes okay and i love that moment because not only did it not do that like you know, he he goes up to that line, and then it went out of its way to go the other way. I'm here right. for my family because, too. Yes, and I thought that was actually a kind of a brilliant line because I actually think that that was the right choice. Because after um, what is it, uh, Raven and Mystique give that kind of monologue and about how same persons. Re- what? Well, yeah, I know, but I I sometimes you motherfucker. Wow. <laughs> I um, just got just got shut down. That's not now you okay. know how I feel. Please get shut yeah. down. Oh, so um, after Raven gives that speech about how like it's it's clear that Eric has a pattern of like after he 
loses the things that the people that are like most dear to him this is what happens so i like the idea that quicksilver doesn't give him another thing to get attached to mm-hmm. in the case of something happens to himself like I, I i like he sacrifices his own happiness or not even necessarily happiness but this possible connection that he wants because he can't i don't think he doesn't want to give the guy another thing to like be scared about possibly or be protective about so hmm. i actually I, I thought that moment was brilliant so this is coming with you guys knowing the comics much better than I would at all. Uh, I did have a couple of questions about a couple of things. First of all, Apocalypse, does his character have any more depth in in the comics or is he just kind of like a boss level in a video game? There's, like a, here? there's a whole like backstory yeah. to him. Like you, you, you go. I Christina. mean, the biggest thing is that everyone always says he's the world's first mutant mm-hmm. he's, and he's actually an alien. What? Okay. He's literally a fucking ancient alien. (laughs) That's why he has that creepy-ass technology and shit. You know, he crashes into Earth millions and millions of years ago, and he finds these people who label him a god, and he takes on that role, so he kind of creates this big entity for himself. So, I mean, he does have a little more in-depth, but I feel... It's like you said, he's kind of a big boss that's just a shadow. And I really don't feel like Apocalypse is such a big issue other than the fact that he's his main power is he's indestructible now that being said did you have anything to comment on it tucson or yeah going off of uh christina's comment about his indestructibility i have a problem with the opening scene of this film like have i already mentioned that yet I feel like I've already mentioned that about uh, about Oscar Isaac. How the the only oh yeah the, oh yeah. yeah okay yeah you mentioned that. okay that's it yeah so don't okay. mention it again. so where I was where I was going with that was uh, the post credit scene of this film uh, references Mister Sinister being the villain. Oh, the... you looked it up, didn't you? Yeah, because I didn't. Yeah, it's a hard bitch. one to, to like. Yeah. Right, it really. Okay, is. so uh, what I was curious about is is Mister Sinister a better villain than Apocalypse is, and should I, as a as a film viewer, be more interested in seeing a movie with him as opposed to Apocalypse. That is very interesting that you asked that question <laughs> because in the actual original continuity, Mister Sinister is actually a servant of Apocalypse. Yeah, he's <laughs> one of the main disciples that he has. Like he's oh. four horsemen. Yeah. So, oh. So he's usually the one that's by his side, and he's his most loyal follower. But in his own, he kind of grows because. As, like, if I was an X-Men and I ran into Mr. Sinister, you're not thinking, oh, my God, he's going to turn me into Apocalypse. It's, no, this is Sinister. I have to get through Sinister. And then there's worse afterwards. Yeah. Mr. Sinister, um, if, like, Mr. Sinister follows Apocalypse for a lot of reasons, but mostly it's because it kind of reaffirms his own theory about um, mutant and human evolution and that he's very much, he, he, he grew up during the time of, like, Charles Darwin being, like, he, he's... He's functionally immortal in, in a lot of ways. Like he, he grew up during the time of Charles Darwin's like heyday, so he really subscribes to Darwinism, and so he's always trying to cultivate through either eugenics or cloning, cloning or manipulating different people in order to have progeny or children or creating progeny in order to create the the best crop of humans possible. And now, like it shows that there's a vial of Wolverine's blood, which I think that in in my opinion, this is. Uh, the franchise's way of foreshadowing the fact that uh, there will be a new Wolverine. Well, yes, because Hugh Jackman is not going to be part of this anymore. It's like, and it's not going to be necessarily a new Wolverine. It might be 
Wolverine from from the actual comic continuity Wolverine's clone daughter X twenty three, which is super weird. But that's okay. that is really weird. He's got like a daughter, but she's a clone. But yeah, okay. It's so basically to answer your question, yeah, Mister Sinister is kind of a bigger deal than Apocalypse because you interact with him more on a daily basis. He's I got guess, a cooler costume. Like, you that too. Okay, well but, that's. Uh, that's a good start. Yeah, so you kind of have to. I was gonna say, I think Apocalypse's costume, at least the the robe he wears around, like I, I just feel like he looks like Rocky in the first Rocky movie. He has a big robe on, like coming up, being like, "Look, this is too big. I think we should get a tighter one the next time." <laughs> hey, Xavier, but- <laughs> <laughs> where are you, Xavier Weakling? <laughs> Oh dear! Yeah. I actually fell asleep in the like. I, <laughs> I fell asleep during like the, the second time I watched this. I actually watched it again today, I, and I caught myself. Um, it's it's the scene where uh, Apocalypse is lifting up Mystique like by the neck, and it's just like Charles, come out here and save your weaklings. And I nodded off a little bit, and then he just started screaming, Charles! I'm just like, shut the fuck up. Can I just say I did not see it coming when it turned out to be Mystique. I literally thought it was Psylocke, like yeah, changing, yeah. Like, betraying him, and sure. I was like, "See, they will betray you again." But then it was her, and I was like, "Oh." Yeah. And then Psylocke was just like, mm, "She just gets up." I'm and, not like, going to say another word until the next film. Then I'll have like Grip two more says, lines. Wake up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Olivia Munn's not a very good actress. So she didn't have much to bring to the table here. Yeah, yeah you know, she wasn't very good. I just put her in like a very tight jumpsuit. She and was actually, it a day. She was actually supposed to be the girlfriend of oh, Deadpool in the Deadpool movie. <laughs> Uh, and Just talked about this yesterday. Yeah, and- I have strong feelings about the reaction to people trashing Olivia Munn because of the comment she made about how she wasn't going to play that character in Deadpool. I'm, I'm not... I, I I just thought that was an interesting factoid. Yeah, no, yeah. no. I'm not saying you. I'm saying there was like a like everybody went and saw Apocalypse and then was like, oh, Olivia Munn, who's laughing now because that was so awful. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but... And was the role in Deadpool really that much better? Well, in, in my opinion, whether okay, Psylocke is not a good character in not, this movie no, at all, and not I at all. like I so. But here's the thing: I can understand a woman wanting to be a person. And I know she was in a tight suit or whatever, but I can understand a woman wanting to be a person who actually does, does something and not being the stripper, heart of gold girlfriend who is the plot device and is honestly. Just as more offensive because there's more screen time and more lines for that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like I don't think that the, her career choice was like the worst thing you could have done. I don't know. People are just don't really understand how sexism works in the right. studio system. Yeah, <laughs> and I'd one rather, day somebody should explain it to them. I'd rather be a superhero in a tight suit that's on screen fighting than that doesn't know, have any words. But at least I have a cool like laser plasma laser plasma on. sword. Yeah. yeah. So how do you guys also feel? Uh, we, there's more we could talk about if you guys have more to say before. We gets the final thoughts but one thing i definitely want to mention is that it seems like raven slash mystique has come full circle now where she is basically one of the main leaders of the x-men as we end this and that's completely different than anything that i've seen previously um what is both of your feelings about that and nick you can jump in on this too and and since raven slash mystique is 
potentially done in these movies uh, since Jennifer Lawrence isn't going to be in it anymore. She said that she kind of would be okay with it. Yeah, I think it's more of a negotiation tactic. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because she gave another interview that was kind of like... Well, maybe. Well, she said me and Fassbender were talking about how we would need more money. (laughs) Yeah. Like, she literally just bluntly said it. So. Well, that makes, um, but but how, how do you guys feel about that? Because I really enjoyed uh, Rebecca Romaine as Mystique. I did at, too. Her as a villain, uh, as um, Magneto's right hand person, and I thought she was great in that role in the original X Men. And now it's kind of weird that she's on the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, that was a big thing for me. Is um, in her core, Raven is a very selfish person. She has been on her own for as long as anyone knows. In the comics, at least she's been mm-hmm. on her own. She's like the mutant Matahari. Yeah, she's alone. She is selfish. Everything she does is for herself. So for me, the biggest issue is that she's a main character and an uh, instructor at the Xavier Institute is very odd. Yeah. She's never once in the comics been in that role. She's yeah. always been a Magneto follower because she. Honestly, she's one of those mutants that she could go either way. She could either be a human and no one would know, or she could be all out mutant and. Now, in the comics, does uh, does Mystique have a human form that she typically chooses? Because obviously, in the original trilogy of the movies, that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Her preferred form was just her Mystique form. Whereas, because they hired Jennifer Lawrence, I guess they had to have a Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, like well, no, it's like she's she's typically just blue and she has like her yellow eyes and, and red right. hair. But, but also, she doesn't choose I, a person I, like I she does in this trilogy. It's right? also important to note that like in the actual original comics, that she's not like butt ass naked like oh, a fucking reptile God. all the time. And I was like, I'm never gonna read that. <laughs> <laughs> not interested. Yeah, but um, I mean, she does. Her main form is Raven as you know this woman. Raven as hair. as she would look as as an actual. So was Raven or yeah, I guess was so was Raven born Raven or Mystique? I'm confused. That's always a hard thing to say. Like there's so many different comics <laughs> okay. that like yeah. Well, she doesn't become Mystique until she meets Eric Lencher, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, so wasn't there like a form before? So maybe that's the Jennifer Lawrence form. Is that maybe. like that's the grown up version of uh, you know? I anyway, just, I always have a hard time with Mystique in these series because <laughs> they make her this heroine and this great person because she's, she's Jennifer Lawrence because in this trilogy she it had nothing to do with Magneto right because she shows up to Charles when she was like a child well no I, I guess I mean more in terms of she doesn't become mystique until she starts palling around with Magneto mm. which she she does in that really bizarre scene where she abandons Charles on the beach in Cuba where there was actually a good line in this movie right about, but I'm talking like I'm just talking the blue form oh person. I think she's always that I think so that's her natural okay. yeah. look so that's what I meant oh, by yeah. as far as um I was just calling the blue form Mystique. And She's always like, been blue, Babu D, Babu okay, died. so she was born like yes, that. that okay. was, that's her mutant power. She gotcha. was born this blue thing, and then she could also change into whatever she wanted. Yeah. yeah. My favorite part of Mystique in this film was at the end where she pretty much did the Avengers Assemble speech only with X-Men. I love that ending scene, including the, and I know it kind of involves the last stand a little bit, but mm. I love uh, including the exact same Sentinels from Days of Future Past. Yeah. And they're sense. fighting them. And I, I'm sorry, the shot of the door closing with Professor X looking straight into That's it. That's cool. I just thought that was awesome. That is fucking cool. Yeah. Go ahead, Christina. See, can... my big thing with the Sentinels is, um, and it's touched upon in Days of Future Past, is these were created... To hunt um, mutants. To hunt mutants. So my only, it might be a misunderstanding from my end, is I don't know if that means that Hank created them and that's why they're there, 
or that he brought them from. I was going to say, I think he probably. My takeaway is that they, they you know, Take did it. away with Bolivar Trask. He's in jail now, and yeah. they they took the remnants of the of the uh, Sentinels, and they're being used now yeah. as training because they can go against the mutants. So it makes sense, but they probably change their you know. So if, if that's the case, then I'm fine with it because that was my only confusion. Is like mm-hmm. when those Sentinels came out, I was like, are you well, implying that Hank has created them because? That's yeah. awful because those things are made to hunt you. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I took it totally hey, as like, what the fuck? Yeah, a, a so, training. So method, that was my but, thing. So like, yeah, yeah, like maybe he did go out pick up the old pieces from Trask and was like, how'd here you, you're gonna you're gonna learn to fight these because you will be fighting them sooner yeah. or later. How would you feel about the X wing like being introduced and then being destroyed? Poor Hank. Yeah, <laughs> just poor Hank. Gonna, have, so to, gonna have to loses a girl loses. I love I love his line in the Days of Future Past where he goes to Wolverine and goes, Do I make it? No. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. no. <laughs> Anything else before um, we go to final thoughts? I thought it was really funny and Tuzan and I may uh, kinda touched upon this. You see her in the car when they when the teenagers run off to take Kurt to the movies for the first time in the mall, you see Jubilee, who's in the yellow jacket mm-hmm. and um the little Asian girl that doesn't really say anything. Yeah. You know? She is such a in the you know in the '90s cartoon, people are always like, "Why is Jubilee here? She's literally there's no reason for her to be here." So it's kind of funny that in this movie they, they did the same thing. Like she's a very focal point. Like you notice her and you know where she's from, but she's not touched upon at all. I mentioned this to Nick. Uh, there's the line from uh, from uh, Nightcrawler that's used in X2, I believe, where he's trying to say his name and then they sort of disregard it, which I think is a running gag. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wagner. Alan Cummings' character in the in the uh, X2 film. I, actually, it's Nightcrawler and actually is like... It's like <laughs> yeah. I, I really that. enjoyed Nightcrawler, especially the scene when um, they're all flying toward... when they're all in the plane and they're all flying and he's just repeating that quote like that. He's praying to God. To... Because that's... He, he was... Raised in a in a monastery. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I thought that scene alone was probably one of my favorites. So. I did like for it. me. Uh, I haven't even commented on him at all, but I actually thought Nightcrawler was my favorite new new iteration of old character that we've seen before in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he was my favorite out of like the the new Scott new Gene because I just thought he seemed exactly like mm-hmm. uh, what Alan and Company. Not that you have to impersonate the person, but that they were able to extend the life of mm-hmm. that character. Yeah. It's pretty nuts that they were able to go to, uh, like, like not discriminating against like Nightcrawler, but like being able to go to a movie theater in the middle of broad daylight. I mean, did no one notice him it, in the movie theater? You think? <laughs> like nobody really, really cared. I guess. And, Unless it was Gene controlling everything. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. shit! That's, you know, that's pretty cool. You pull that thread. I mean, I can admit that when yeah. I'm in a movie, maybe they just walked in late because when I'm in a movie, I try not to like. I try to block everybody out when they're walking in because it's just I, you and your popcorn. Yep. Just wants to go to the mall, man. <laughs> Wants to see this mall that they're talking about. Not right now. There's so many teenagers in the mall. (laughs) Can't handle it. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I I don't have any more thoughts to add to it. I've pretty much like laid it bare that I I thought that this was a I thought this was below the standard of like what I think that an X-Men film can can be. I think that it's an okay X-Men film. It's not the best X-Men film. Mm -hmm. And personally, maybe I'm just like I'm I'm not really attuned as as the the ideal audience for this. Like I I love these prop I love this property. I love uh graphic novels. I love X Men. I'm just I'm kind of a little tired of the the formula so far. So I guess I just give it for for me at least, I 
I give it a, a two and a half out of five. I will admit that the pizza dog during the the scene where Quicksilver's trying to get everyone <laughs> out, that was my favorite. Oh, he saves yeah. the dog with the pizza. I was like My favorite part was when he was uh, surfing on the 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 upside down like like table and then he just like jumps off of that and just like runs across the uh the But doesn't actual... it make you wonder, is that pizza dog a student or is it just a dog they have? That's just a dog they have. Maybe it's a student turns into she a dog. Oh. Think about it, you know? Shit. Yeah. So that's kind of like thing. violated it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh so yeah, go ahead, Christina. After after hearing everyone kind of put in their own thoughts, I may go try watching it again, you know, as a just a movie fan instead of a comic book fan, but Hey, I have shit on many movies here on this podcast, so it's, yeah. you're not alone. As far yeah, don't as hold this. back. If you right. if you really thought one and a half out of five is a good place to be, then that's where you should I stay. stay at, I stay at my three, my three out of ten. So Okay, right on. Yeah, three and a half out of uh, five for me. I really enjoyed this this film, although it did have quite a few flaws for me, especially the, the villain is... You guys may know I love villains. The namesake of the film. <laughs> yeah, it just there, there, there wasn't much really to do there. It seems like for either the character or for Oscar Isaac as an actor, which was a little disappointing, but it kind of makes sense. Uh, I did really enjoy uh, c- the continuation of James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender's relationship, as they've, I think, played Magneto and Professor X really well throughout this early series, and I, I did very much appreciate the James McAvoy, for the most part, impersonating Patrick Stewart narration early on, which has been a thing that they've been sort of slowly going towards of having the younger characters try to be a little bit more like uh, the older people who play them uh, as the films go on, as we've seen with Michael Fassbender throughout the film series as he's talked more and more like Ian McClellan does, which I've thought has been really interesting. And we have pretty much that go full circle with Charles Xavier here, which is, which is kind of cool, but I, I just really enjoyed this movie. It brings a lot of things that I love out of superhero movies, especially that final scene, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. And um, I'll be wanting to go see this again in the theater. I thought it was a, a fun time and um, it was just a good superhero movie. So three and a half out of five for me for X-Men apocalypse. Yeah. I, surprisingly also really enjoyed this movie. <laughs> this is my favorite superhero movie of this year so far. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not saying a lot. It's so not saying a lot. It's only been like, what, four? I, there's been four. Yeah. Um, and they're all and I disliked all sub three of them. two for yeah, Nick. For so. me. Although um, you gave Civil War two out of five. Give it two and a half. Two and a half, yeah. Like, so that, that was just right on the line of like whether I care or not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in the case of the X-Men, apparently it was Apocalypse. I did. I, I cared quite a bit. And I thought that it's messy and it is full of flaws and whatever. But the scenes that work are scenes that I deeply gravitate to. Um, I mean, for just to really quickly list off... Uh, pretty much anything with Magneto. I mean, God, the scene in which he does lose his uh, daughter and his wife uh, and he succumbs to the... the... Hatred. Yeah, uh, I, I thought that was just a... Even if we've kind of seen that Magneto before, I, I don't care because... It's, well, it just keeps, it keeps happening again. Right, and so. it makes, makes it sense. It keeps of, happening! It, it makes sense because that's his whole thing. It's like we, they're never going to learn and, and, that's, and we see why he thinks it that way. So mm-hmm. I thought that scene was great. Also, like him destroying Auschwitz... Uh, is <laughs> just saying oh, wow. that the, that sentence like him destroying <laughs> Auschwitz. Auschwitz. No, like him destroying Auschwitz. All right. Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> I thought that that scene was kind of amazing. Like I, like I, I can't imagine 
uh, something in like you know owned by Disney and the MCU doing anything like that. There's just something there. That's an audacious image yeah. to, to put on screen and to use it as any an emotional, uh, shall we say, uh, an emotional uh, heart. For for your villain, but also heroes, you know motivation. I think these movies toe that line of uh, emotional complexity, not because they're so nuanced, but because they're able to take these big ideas and uh, big moments and big tragedies. Uh, you might call it shorthand, but I call it uh, just a perfect fit for the the kind of genre this is. So those kind of moments, that's why I watch the X-Men movies, to kind of be blown away by the fact that this superhero movie is actually showing somebody, you know, demolishing a a, a site of uh, past genocide. I mean, that's just, wow. I can't believe that something like that happened in a uh, in a mainstream superhero movie. I feel like that, if I, I was a, like a Holocaust well, survivor yeah. watching that, I feel like that's how they exactly feel. That's what they would want to do, is like yeah. destroy that place. Wait, so. you're saying you can believe that? I can believe that, just with how... This like this, a, this like a this, thing that just happens in a lot of superhero. Movies. Not that it, not <laughs> specifically just with like Auschwitz, but just like as dark as superhero films have gotten. Like it just it doesn't seem all that that big of a skip hop and a stretch. I can't see anything in the MCU trying to tie into a real life. Yeah, I was gonna yeah, say. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. I'm just saying like, I, I mean, I've seen some pretty dark shit. I saw Winter Soldier. Well, yeah, I'm not talking about dark things. But okay, but like, beat I, a man to death even, and then choke a but, like, mother. Realistically, tying like look at um. Age of Ultron, they had to create a completely other town, yes. like town to destroy. Yeah, and, not like they're ever going to say, "Where were the Avengers on 9-11 or yeah. something?" Like, no, but I'm saying that and, would be a yeah. parallel. Ca- Captain America, as well, fights against Hydra, which is an offshoot of right. the Nazis, but it is still. It's not. He's not fighting Nazis. The Nazis right. throughout at least the the modern times he's fighting hydra and i'm not saying that that means that those are bad movies Mm. but i'm saying i can't see them being allowed to get away with something like this yeah i mean Um, don't forget captain america did punch hitler a hundred times in the face yeah i want to see that (laughs) that was probably my favorite line i knocked out hitler like a hundred times what so uh i to get my rating i give this three and a half out of five i just thought it was a lot of fun it's a lot more daring in my opinion than uh a lot of superhero movies these days and the flaws that are apparent kind of feel at home here in a way that don't uh for me in other superhero properties so Mm. i'm a big fan of the x-men franchise in general it's not my favorite x-men movie but it is definitely not one of my least favorites. It's uh, I to close out this trilogy. I would say this trilogy was a success, and that's kind of rare for me to like all three superhero movies in one trilogy. That's, mm. that's crazy. And the third one was the worst. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, it was as far as I like the other two better. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, I yeah, no self fulfilling prophecy. I thought this as a as a trilogy. Um, I'm gonna look back on it with fond memories. I thought all these three films were all very good. Yeah. So I'm yeah. I'm very happy with how it progressed and. Uh, how also this uh, universe, I think, does something that the MCU has, has fought against really hard, which every film feels like its own adventure. And I, I really wish that Marvel would take – the other Marvel would take <laughs> a uh, you know a page out of that book because I like being in a film that even though there's connections with previous films and, and the future films – you're watching something that feels like its own thing. It's not just in service of the next film. Yeah. Also, I have to say, uh, MCU, Marvel Studios, this is how you do a Stanley cameo. <laughs> because yeah. the more forgettable it is, the better. Tony Stank. 
Do you like how his wife was in this one too? Was that was that That's her? His actual wife. Okay. Oh, that's so sweet. That. Yeah. He, he he was just re- God. I don't like that the guy. I'm not saying the creator or whatever, but he was just recently in an interview and he said that he was damn mad that his Deadpool cameo that he was offsite. Like he wanted to be in the strip club. Like that was that was a newsworthy article that he gave that quote and he goes you better be damn sure that if they do it again i will be there i'm gonna be very sad when stanley passes away yeah i I mean he's got he's got street cred for a a lot of reasons but his cameos are getting to the point where it's like it was cute in the beginning because they're like oh he's old he'll be dead soon so we'll just have him in these (laughs) movies why can't he just be more like alfred hitchcock (laughs) no like seriously like his cameos are actually kind of fun because it is like spot the alfred whereas like here it's kind of like remember this is because of me (laughs) in in north by northwest like with alfred hitchcock's uh cameo in that where he's literally just missing the bus he can't get on the bus like oh man god damn it it's like yeah yeah. see i think my last thing too um i know alex mentioned it and i know nick mentioned it earlier is the one thing I do like about the X-Men movies is you can kind of watch them all without kind of needing the one beforehand. Like, yeah. for Age of Ultron, I feel like if you just watch Age of Ultron, you would not know what was happening. Or Civil War, too. Yeah. Like yeah. We, we talked about on the episode, if if you walked into Civil War and then you got slapped in the face with Scarlet Witch and the Vision, you'd be like, who the fuck are those people? That, that was sure. my mother. My poor mother. I dragged <laughs> her into Civil War with me. And she, my mom is one of those people who talks during movies and I want to deck her. Who is that? Yeah, literally. Leans over. Christina, this, who is that? Leans over and, and is always What Tucson like, is what? doing right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like is just in your face and be like, what's going on? What's happening? I'm just, just watch the movie. So that's, so that's the one thing I do enjoy about the X-Men movies and you can kind of just jump in and be like, you can figure it out. You're like, oh, they're fighting this guy. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why it doesn't bother me when they do kind of repeat past, like, shall we say, events as far as, like, like Eric losing his family has kind of already been a character motivator in the past, but A, it just thematically, I think, strengthens, you know, his core, but B, then we don't need now here they did flash back to it, which yeah. I thought was a little awkward because I don't know why I just don't really... Pr- like it when mainstream movies like flashback to movies that were made like 15 years ago but because these events are important man we we knew we knew they were going to be important so that's why we put them in the first place it's like one of those it's all for uh, a full circle moment man (laughs) we made that movie for this movie could you imagine watching this and like watching eric like the first time ever like this is your first movie and you're watching eric's family die and you're just like oh my god this is so bad someone (laughs) someone leans over this isn't the first time it's happened yeah (laughs) i'm like oh they 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 literally showed you You the same this was bad yeah you should have seen it the first time (laughs) back in 1940 (laughs) They, they show you the exact same scene in the first X-Men film and then in first class as well, which right. was actually kind of cool, I thought. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, that, that scene's just been kept on coming back, but that's okay. And it, again, in this It's not like Saw levels of, uh, <laughs> let's replay the scene, now in slow motion, now with new sound bites, <laughs> now... <laughs> I, I, I do like that they, they try to find the most like out of left field way to show uh, Eric Lencher's tattoo on his arm. <laughs> yeah. Which just like it, like it's fine. He's got it. We all, we, we all know it's there. So <sighs> we, we don't need to have it brought up again that, Oh look, here's our one shot showing right. that he still has that tattoo. Eric, can see you my... pass the mustard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, one other really quick thing I just want to say, cause I never mentioned it before was that, um, really random i really like the dream sequence not dream sequence but the sheer psychosis 
between Jean's nightmare and Xavier in the school, like the way Ooh, that yeah. that was edited and the colors that were the there. And uh, that was one of those things where I was glad I was seeing it on a big screen. Uh, one of those it was be- much better than the one in like Ultron. Oh which, yeah, that was a dumb scene <laughs> in Ultron. Sorry I, that they're tra- they're traumatized guys, right? The, the, I'm a ballerina. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the shared sort of uh, kind of vision or or just um, what's the word I'm looking for between Gene premonition? No, oh. uh, I'm talking about late in the film between Gene oh, the shared uh, like fight scene yeah, that that's happening there, between yeah. Apocalypse and Gene and Professor X. I actually thought that was really good. That was one of the better parts of Apocalypse throughout the film. You're in my house now. I was like, you get a bigger house now. <laughs> But and then Jean comes back and I, and that did really bring her character to the forefront in this film where she was a little bit in the background throughout mm-hmm. the rest of the film, and uh, yeah, I, I like the involvement of of her character and her being the one who ultimately is the only one who can defeat uh, Apocalypse for the most part. I thought that was pretty awesome, and that sort of sequence is how you do a sequence like that and not like the flying birds and for the, some reason the Flash is there in. Uh, Batman vs Superman, like I and I know that that's a dream sequence and whatever, but that was shit. So Xavier, oh, yeah. Yeah. Xavier <laughs> opens up his laptop. What other mutants are there out there? Can you find the mutants? Yeah, like Gambit just comes flying out. <laughs> professor, Professor, don't trust her. Thank, no, thank God I have this quick time file. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. All right. Well, thank you very much, Christina, and thank you to uh, you guys as well. As oh, come on. Oh, thanks. thanks, man. And really enjoyed and talking thank about you, Alex. Oh, yeah, for thanks. being a for being a friend and a host, and just a, just a really all around great guy. <laughs> thank you, know, you for being a, a friend. Thank, thank, thank you guys for those kind words. <laughs> on our next episode, I bet almost all of them. <laughs> yeah, sure, except uh, that one. On our next episode, we're going to uh, we're going to go a little deep, as as this is what I would classify as an art house film for sure, and uh, that is the comedy drama film The Lobster, which stars Colin Farrell. Uh, this film is a, a very interesting premise, uh, where Colin Farrell goes to a is it? It's a hotel. It's, it's a hotel it is, yes. where basically everyone who goes there has two weeks to fall in love and marry somebody or they get turned into an animal. Yes. Oh. And it's not just that he goes. <laughs> oh. In this dystopian world, everybody is forced to go. Okay. If oh. you if you have not. If, if you Christina have not. sounds like she's already completely lost interest. In <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh, you. Oh. Oh, no. I'm just thinking of more along my sense. If I had to go to this, what animal would I be? Because I would not find someone in two weeks. A lobster. It's like, very good choice. <laughs> it's it's like, 45. Five days, by the way. Oh. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. okay, then maybe 45 days I might stand a chance. But um, it's it's an interesting premise, and also to... Obviously, I have seen it. <laughs> yeah, and I was just saying, Nick has seen it, and I, I know you, you did uh, enjoy it as well. I enjoyed it. A little bit of a spoiler. <laughs> but also, too, uh, it is a dark-slash-dry comedy, so... Yes, um, I'm. I'm looking very for- dry. <laughs> like I'm kind of surprised that it's in as many theaters as it is because it's kind of ridiculously unmarketable, and not just in the sense that like the trailer was bad or anything like that, but like people were gonna go see this, and I fear for the people who have no idea what they're getting into. It's gonna be like uh, the mainstream people who went to go see the overnight last year. 
Uh, no, because, well, I mean, they were just weird, like, people. Like, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, normal people can go see the overnight, and whether they like it or not, that's a that's a thing that's all up in the air, but I don't, you know, this is like, normal people are going to go see this, and they're going to feel violated, I think, in some oh. ways. Mm. Oh, my. At least in some, some <laughs> respects. In other ways, they're just going to be bored. Okay. okay. That's better, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, if you want to hear our feelings on it, you can find that on our next episode, which is coming up uh, next week. You can find all of our episodes at Film Tank Show com or on iTunes, uh, and you can always reach us at filmtankshow at gmail.com if you have any feelings on the X-Men series, X-Men Apocalypse, or if you have any feelings on the movie The Lobster as well. So from Christina Gonzalez to San Egan, Nick Cheney, myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much as always for listening to this episode of Film Tank. We'll catch up with you next time. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.